2: with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1210 at the Aloft Hotel in Greenville, South Carolina. Today's show is recorded on the 5th of September, 2019. episode, Midwest Express is relaunching in Milwaukee, and we'll tell you why Air Canada has to pay $15,000 to two of its passengers. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, Ramstein Fluke Dog 1988. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked position. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 390 is ready for pushback.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and cover your awesome feedback. And I'm a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier based in Atlanta, GA. And here today to help me with the news and feedback and everything else from her lakeside studio in South Carolina. She's a doctor. A skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph.
4: Hey,
5: Captain Jeff. It is so great to be here with you all. Thank you for waiting on me to get started this evening. I really appreciate that. Looking forward to a great show, and I think there's some great feedback for us to tackle today, too.
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Welcome. And also joining us from his studio in the English countryside professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick.
6: Uh, Hi there, Jeff. Uh, Fantastic. It's almost like I haven't been speaking to you for the last 44 minutes. But uh, anyway, great to be on the show. Looking forward to kicking it off and getting going.
3: Always telling everybody our secrets. And from his studio near the Concord-Covered Bridge in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, his name, Captain Dana.
7: Wow, great to be back. It's been a while. Looking forward to this show this evening since it's been so
3: long. We are looking forward to it as well. We missed you, Dana. Glad that you're back with us. All right. Well, you know what? Let's start off with Captain Dana, since we haven't heard from him in such a long time. Now, wait, oh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. One of the things I think we missed, Dana, was the fact that you uh, celebrated something uh, quite recently. Is that true? I sure did, and one of the reasons
7: why I missed one of the shows, as a matter of fact.
3: Okay. Well, you you celebrated a birthday, and we have some feedback that one of our APG community members sent in. Let's play that, shall we? Sure.
0: Dana's birthday, 2019, in three, two. Some of you may have heard of the Yiddish words shlemiel and "schlamazel" before. Most of you may only be familiar with them as nonsense words from the opening of the 1970s sitcom Laverne and Shirley. But they're not at all nonsense words. Not only do they have specific definitions but as with many Yiddish words, they have a deeper meaning. Technically, the word shlemiel means a fool. Not just a fool, though, but often a very likable person who just seems to always be doing foolish things without realizing it. A shlemazel, however, would be defined as someone prone to misfortune. But again, it's more than that. For a shlemazel, bad luck just seems to happen upon him. A more classic definition of shlemiel and shlemazel is this. While the schlamazel's toast always falls butter-side down, a schlamazel always butters both sides of his toast. Perhaps my favorite way to define these words is through an old story. There are three people sitting around at a dinner party. The schlamazel spills the soup. The schlamazel has a soup spilled all over him. And the third person, the dappus, just sits there saying, Oh, what a shame. One of the beauties of Yiddish is that many words are from the soul. One word offers you an explanation of not just an object or emotion, but a whole feeling. For example, as I'm describing and defining these terms for you, I have no doubt you're saying, yeah, I get it, I know people like this. Or worse, you may be saying, he's describing me. Now, there's nothing wrong with shlamils and shlamazils. They're often wonderful people, but frequently, by happenstance, Sometimes by actions, they fall into these categories. Ever watch the TV series Seinfeld? Jerry's a real schlemiel. George is no doubt a (laughs) schlemazel. And Kramer and Elaine? Well, they're obviously dapas. The entire show, all 11 seasons of it, can be summarized in three Yiddish words. So why am I again pontificating and boring you with my limited knowledge of Yiddish here on The Airline Pilot Guy? Well, it's for a celebration. A celebration of a friend I only got to meet this year, but who I'm so happy to be able to call my friend. Now understand and I want to make this clear. My friend is an amazing guy. But it often seems if it weren't for bad luck, he'd have no luck. By definition, that's a schlamazel. But even with all of that, he is amazing and has overcome so much to get to where he is today. He grew up in a very rough and tumble town, Brockton, Massachusetts. But unlike so many others from there, he fought his way out of it and eventually became a captain for a major airline. But even that wasn't without its struggles. Yes, I'm talking about my friend Captain Dana, a truly terrific guy, so kind, so caring, and so genuine. But what luck he has. If he spills a beer, it's going to be on his brand new computer keyboard. If a microphone goes bad, it's going to be his. And not only that, the lifetime warranty won't apply. If a newly purchased boat is going to have the wrong propeller shafts for the engines, it's going to be his boat. If there's a scheduling glitch, be it training, flying, or weather delays, it affects him. If a disruptive passenger is flying somewhere, it's going to be on Dana's flight. And if an electrical issue is going to occur, well he's going to be the pilot in command. Yes, Dana's a schlamazel, which is never anyone's fault, but he proves that bad luck like that can be overcome. Dana has such resilience, such amazing abilities, that it doesn't get him down. It only makes him better. He smiles and perseveres through those challenges, fights his way around them, and only becomes stronger. He's an example to all of us, and I'm so happy to be able to have met him this year And spend time getting to know him. I'm honored to be able to call Dana my friend. So happy birthday, Captain Dana, from all of us, but especially from your main man, Micah.
7: Oh my wow. (laughs) Nice. I have to give it that's a true and I'm gonna go all the way from the lower gut and I'm gonna bring it all the way up through my lungs. Wow! <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. And you know what? He's so right in a lot of, a lot of ways. And I have to say in Yiddish, The "Adunk" is thank you in Yiddish to Micah. That was amazing. Awesome. And so nice to meet you, Micah, too. And I consider you a very, very, very close friend and a fantastic person as well.
3: Thank you. What else? Very nice of uh, him to uh, put that together for you. Yeah, that absolutely. A lovely
6: compliment. Mm-hmm.
7: absolutely. And he's so true. It's so true. (laughs) I couldn't, I mean, who can have worse luck than me? But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just, I just get through it. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate in other ways. I have a friend of mine that has had two engine failures in his first couple of years as a captain. And I knock on some, (laughs) hello, no. Uh, (laughs) knock on some wood. I haven't (laughs) had to deal with that. So, but yeah, Um,
3: yeah, it's been fun. Okay, oh. well, uh, part of your, oh, I'm sorry, stuff. Oh, I was just going to, to
5: say, say, I don't think we had the chance to say it, but happy birthday from the rest of yeah, us as well. Birthday, Thank and... you.
7: Absolutely. Thank you. I'm an old man. Ah. Uh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I, and I believe somebody else's birthday is around now, too, so I'm not going to say anything. Soon. Yeah, soon. Ah, very, very soon. Very soon. So like in the four days. Yeah.
8: Yeah.
7: Um, <laughs> Virgo, you, we share that in common. We're both Virgo the Virgin.
6: Yeah, you're flying for the wrong airline, Mel.
7: Yeah. I know. You got to fly for Virgo. <laughs> and, you know, virgos the tendency of Virgo is to be very, very picky.
5: picky, picky. Perfectionist. Mm, that explains so much, doesn't it, Jeff?
7: It does. It, it
5: does.
7: <laughs> it sure does. I like everything
3: perfect. If it's not laying up perfectly, ugh, God forbid. I do, too, and that's why I chose you all to be my co-hosts. Yeah. <laughs> ah.
5: Oh, nice.
7: Uh, You didn't choose
3: me. I just happened
7: to be happenstance.
3: Yeah, that's not true. (laughs) Anyway, um, so did you do something special for your birthday?
7: Yeah, I did not work. I actually worked the system. I was supposed to work on my birthday, but for me, that's a national holiday. And so I was brought up with a very strong heritage in uh, birthday-ism. So, always celebrate birthdays pretty hard. So, I decided that uh, I went ahead and did what's called a personal drop. And it actually worked out. We had coverage uh, even on a Saturday. So, I was supposed to work the 22nd, 23rd, 24th is my actual birthday in August um, and drop that. So, I was able to join uh, seven total of us, um, five Acme. One non-ACME, uh, actually two non-ACME, one United and a, a private pilot on a fantastic four-day venture odyssey through the uh, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, and North Georgia mountains. And I said Alabama has mountains, yes. They have uh, Mount mm-hmm. Cheetah, uh, Chiha uh, which is uh, the highest point in Alabama. And what a Beautiful place. They have a uh, restaurant overlooking the valley, in the, when I say the valley, uh, over there towards Talladega National uh, Forest, which is where Talladega Raceway for NASCAR fans uh, is located. So we could see that. It's a, a beautiful area. And so uh, we we had four days of absolute bliss on the motorcycles, um, including Tale of the Dragon, Chairhole Skyway, uh, Moonshine is 28 for anybody that knows any of those. Um, and, uh, the best part about it is I'll drink to that. Yep. Best part about it was hanging out with, with, seven great guys. Uh, and you know, a lot of times when you get people like that together, there tends to be a little bit of drama. There was absolutely no drama whatsoever. We all got along and we all rode great together, <laughs> except for they put me in charge of being in the lead again. So, um, cause I just know the area. So well. I've, I've done, uh, I actually just this past trip, a total of 50, over 50,000 miles. On, on motorcycle riding, and of that 50,000, at least uh, thirty-five to 38,000 miles of it has all been through that entire area. So I'm very familiar, and I've got to say, very fortunate to have such beautiful, great riding right here in the southeast. Actually, arguably some of the best riding in the country. So that's what I did on my birthday for the four days, and that's why I missed you guys uh, recording. Yeah, on sounds
3: to me like that was worth worth missing the show for that. I'd say so. Um, I hate to say it.
7: Missed you guys. Thought about you guys. Yeah. But, uh, we uh, actually. Um, I no, I couldn't have. I I thought at one point I was going to be able to join at least to say hello, and that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and no, then it's better uh, just to concentrate on having fun. I did, and then so I picked up a three day trip. If I had not done so, I would have been off from um, the 21st of August through the 19th of September. Um, but I did pick up a good th- three-day, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday trip. And I have to say, it was the first trip this summer that I had no issues. <laughs> so it was a very easy Three day trip, three, two, three, like three legs first day, two legs mm-hmm. second day, three legs the third day, and done. It was eight. All right, it we'll was just
3: keep it that way for now. It, okay. it,
7: it was a Jeff trip. It certainly was <laughs> it was definitely more of a Jeff trip for sure with his seniority. So but I was very fortunate to pick it up and uh that's about it. Now I'm leaving uh next week. You're gonna miss me again if you're uh be recording well, yeah, I'll be gone all week. Yeah, uh, we'll figure it out. I'm going to Cozumel uh, with the Acme Dive Group. Um, it's a great time. It's an all-inclusive um, resort. And going to be scuba diving for the entire week. And I'm going to be taking a lot of photographs. As a matter of fact, I spent uh, yesterday getting my camera uh, ready and went and bought a new dive uh, light to help with the uh, with with um, dive light, but a a photographic light for underwater and uh, get everything ready. And my computer's all charged and batteries changed and ready to go scuba diving for
3: a week. Excellent. We can't hear, wait to hear. We can't hear. We can't wait to hear about that trip when, when you're back again with us. Um, Anything else before we move on to the next contestant?
7: nope um great being back thank you for having me and uh miss everybody in the chat room miss everybody out there been listening to the show and um just a great i'm, I'm sorry i didn't talk more aviation this is an aviation podcast yeah right.
3: we have plenty of time to talk aviation right, cool. for the rest of the show all right i'm gonna shut up now all right so uh i'm looking at uh, somebody's hat right now and uh, it's a very nice looking hat <laughs> By the way, we actually have some of those hats left over. <laughs> I don't know exactly how we'd get you. I'm to pay gonna for them I'm gonna wear to this them. one out and then I'll need a replacement. <laughs> okay, so hang on better, to one for me, will you? Okay, I'll hold on to some extras. Thanks. Anyway, uh Captain Nick, uh, how have you been, sir, since uh since the last show?
6: Oh, just busy, you know. Uh, I've got a this uh, lecture coming up uh on a new subject. So I've been gathering information about that and uh, creating a uh, a series of slides to show. So yeah, it's been keeping me busy. Uh, last plane tale uh, kept me quite busy and I've got to produce another one uh, in the next few days. And then of course, we've got a few visitors coming. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Uh, and yeah, uh, life's ticking over very nicely. Thanks so much. And in the meantime, I've been slipping on down to our dearest uh, Audi dealer and uh, inquiring about a a new set of wheels uh, to replace my old airport car,
3: because uh, I think now I'm retired. Now's the time to do it. Just new wheels or like the rest of the car as well?
6: I hope it comes with the rest of the car. <laughs> Otherwise, it's they're going to be really expensive wheels. I'm <laughs> Sure.
3: Well, I can't wait to see the, uh, the new vehicle when you get it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be lovely. Yeah, I, I will. Yeah.
6: But uh, no, not, not much going on here. Uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, just relaxing some more all right excellent
3: i look forward to uh seeing you uh in a couple of weeks
6: yeah well it's not right. even that it's uh, not even 21st. that week and a half. yeah week and a half where when we both get together at frankfurt uh for the meetup with uh, uh marcus and the omega tau uh podcast and uh, uh they uh we're also meeting up with ollie and stefan And uh, they they do a podcast as well. Uh, Come Fly With Us, I think it's called. Uh, But it's an all-German podcast. So I have tried to listen to it, and I'm going, oh, I don't understand this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just...
3: It's just like, whew, I can't yeah. really get any of what Sadly, you're saying. Sadly,
6: unlike uh, uh, Marcus's
3: podcast, they don't alternate between uh, English and- uh, Well, I mean, our, Marcus, when he's speaking English, sometimes I don't understand what he's <laughs> saying.
6: <laughs> you, mm. I, I think Marcus's English
5: is better than ours. Most oh, no, probably. his English
3: is fine. It's just that the things he's talking oh, about- Oh, ah, it's just the, top, the uh, subject matter. Uh, yeah. Yes. The heck yeah, well, that's what, what are, are they talking about? when you've got a brain the size of a planet.
6: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Exactly right. So uh, we're looking forward to meeting them at Frankfurt. And it's uh, oh, brilliant that you're able to pop over. That's going to be fantastic. We can share a stein or two and uh, fall asleep in our cups. It's probably going to
3: kill me, but, yeah. you know. Well, it probably will. What the heck? That German <laughs> beer is really nasty. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just talking about the the time, uh, you know. don't <laughs> know, ahead, if I was then. thinking
7: I should have moved my vacation to that week, that way it could have gone over with you guys, but that was kind of stupid on my part. Ah, uh, oh, well. Um, That'll be. be. Before we move on, there was one other thing I wanted to mention that I'd be remiss from not mentioning aviation-wise, and that's uh, a very important event that happened yesterday, and I don't see it anywhere that we're talking about it. Oh, we are going to talk about it. Okay. All right. Then I'll leave it alone.
3: Continue. Okay. Very good. Um, Let's see. Stephanie. Yes, Jeffrey. What have you been up to?
5: Well, I do have some aviation stuff to talk about. How about that? Uh Uh-huh. I on Saturday took a little trip up north, about mm, about five like hundred and eighty ish miles north of here. There's this little town called Toronto. You may have heard of it. Hmm. Familiar? Is that
3: in in our country?
5: No, it's in oh, it's Canada. another country.
3: Ah. Did you need your own passport?
5: Yes. Woo. Yes, you have to have to take your passport there. So um, they're quite friendly, but yes,
3: that's a requirement. Uh, you know I'm thinking we know somebody that lives up there
5: you you may may remember this uh, friend of ours who lives up there her name is Liz Piper oh, she's yeah. our producer
4: yeah oh, he's not he in was
5: kind <laughs> enough to host me for just over a day and we um actually went out to the uh, I think it's called the Canadian National Expo I might be getting that wrong Liz will correct me um which is a big yearly fair exhibition type type deal and they also have the canadian international um air show that happens right along the lakefront there in toronto so we spent the day looking at watching um displays from a couple different um uh demonstration teams i'll get to that in a second we also were joined by Stephen ivy so that was really cool that he had the day off and was able to come up and join us for that um interesting air show because um chance to see a couple of demonstration teams I had not seen before. That included the... Now, technically, I have seen the Red Arrows, but I think they've really only ever done kind of flybys at uh, Farnborough and um, the, the various events we've been to in the UK. So it was nice to see them um, put on kind of their full uh, show and demonstration. And we also saw the um, uh, Canadian Forces Snowbirds, uh, that was a lot of fun. The Red Arrows actually opened the show on Saturday, and then the Snowbirds closed the show. And then in between, there were all kinds of various um, aircraft to to take in. I think a Yak-50, a uh, um, couple of A-10s, MiG-15, the Airbus uh, A-400M. There was a demonstration from... Um, Helicopter uh, search and rescue team. They were pulling, jumping into the water and pulling people back out of the water. I'm sure the water in Lake Ontario is uh, quite chilly this time of year, too, or any time of year. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't really, uh, it, yeah, I would not want to be one of those like water. Yeah, I, li- I like the water in my lake. It's still a nice, <laughs> you know, balmy 82 degrees Fahrenheit, at least uh and yeah i mean it was just a great day i mean the the planes were great but also great fun to spend the day with liz very appreciative of her hospitality and hosting me for the day and awesome to see Stephen ivy so that was a lot of fun had perfect weather too i mean toronto really um outdid itself with the kind of mid 70s and mostly sunny uh really nice great fair food too little tiny donuts delicious
3: <laughs> that was i'm
5: not i'm not sure about the beer choice we we ended up um kind of standing in front of one of the beer tents because we tried a couple times to sit in the grass and watch the show but it seemed like everyone was kind of cranky because the the seating area in the grass the walkway was in front of it so people would keep walking back and forth in front of the people sitting there and stopping and taking pictures and i mean you can't blame them for that the entirely yeah and there was a lot of that going on a lot of like ah, you know just the. Mm-hmm. Uh, complaining and, and griping and whatnot. So we decided what, we didn't Canadians want to be those. I know. I was completely griping? blown away by that. <laughs> it seemed <laughs> very un-Canadian to me. Yeah. Uh, I suspect it may have been a lot of uh, well, visitors from. Well, it's Toronto. From, from yeah. And
6: uh, just tell us the what US. beer you were <laughs> drinking, Steph.
5: Yeah. So the only, we ended up standing in front of this beer stand, and the only thing they had on offer for beer was uh, Coors um, Banker ah! or Coors Light. Ah!
3: Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm what is wrong with you Canadians?
5: Well, we drank
3: it. Didn't they have like, uh, what are some nice examples of Canadian beer? Um, Molson. Molson. <laughs> yeah. And something Labatt's. Labatt's. I don't know. Right? Yeah. Nope. Not this
5: particular beer. Uh, they may have had other, I think they had some wines, <laughs> but we, Steve and I just wanted beer. So we yeah. ended up drinking a few Coors a piece. And yeah. Fine. I
3: saw that uh, picture of the two of you drinking Coors. I'm thinking. What are they doing? (laughs) They must be out of it.
5: I mean, we would have had to, I think there was other stuff for sale elsewhere in the exhibition, but we would have had to walk, you know, quite a ways away. Yeah. And we had a nice spot. All the friendly people are the beer drinkers standing in front of the beer stand.
3: Yes. As it should be.
5: Yeah. No complainers (laughs) there.
3: Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, All right. Anything else, Steph, or shall um, I move on?
5: No, I think that was it. That was kind of the beginning of our uh, Labor Day weekend. Came back for the remainder of it and just back to work this week. I will be similarly um, on vacation next week, so might be interesting trying to put things together for next week's show. Okay, well. We'll, we'll figure it out.
7: Do our best. Come we'll scuba diving, to, Steph.
5: Mm. Think Are she you certified?
7: On the- no. We can. Get, I can get you certified. Why don't you? I have an open space in my room. Nobody join me. I've got an instructor down there with me. I can assist.
5: Yes. This is Justice's vacation that he has planned for us. So we'll <sighs> be, I'll be elsewhere,
3: but yeah, I don't think she'd she, appreciate that. Hey, I'm going to go down with Dana, stay in his yeah, room. Exactly. And he's going to teach me how to Sorry, scuba Justice. dive. Yeah. <laughs>
7: Better
5: off fun on your
3: also. vacation. That's true. I didn't think, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think of it in that way. So
5: no, no, not oh, at no, all. No. Not
3: Completely at no. Exactly. Now nah, we were, we were uh, just fooling around there so to speak. Um, All right. Uh, Let's see. Speaking, you know, last show, I believe, yeah, in the midst of the show, kept getting uh, telephone calls from Acme, trying to assign me trips, green slips and stuff, and I turned them all down. Uh, But one opportunity came up after the show. Uh, They wanted, uh, they had a couple of flights or a couple of trips to uh, uh, retirement flights for uh, the McDonnell Douglas 88, MD-88 uh, airplanes and one of them I uh, well I actually put in for both of them and I ended up getting one and I flew ship 984 which is a November 984 Delta Lima I don't know that's kind of an odd number and letter for uh, Acme but anyway uh, flew that out to San Bernardino now I had done one of these earlier last year and uh, ship 926 and I said I would never do this again but That was on regular rates. Uh, This was on uh, double pay, green slip pay. And this, instead of doing it all at one whack, like flying it out there, taking the two-hour van drive to the Los Angeles International Airport, and then immediately getting on another airplane and deadheading all the way back to Atlanta, uh, which is, you know, I think it was worth like eight and a half hours, uh, a lot of time in the airplane, and it just wore me out. And that's why I said, I'm not going to do that again. But this one... Had us getting into LAX. It was on a Saturday. They didn't have any flights that uh, left Los Angeles right away, so they couldn't legally um, make us wait until the Red Eye flight at 1030 at night. So I had a nice layover in Los Angeles at the uh, airport. And then uh, the next day, I was supposed to be on an early flight in the morning to head back to Atlanta, but I went ahead and uh, moved it to a little bit later deadhead flight so that I could watch the Belgian Grand Prix on Sunday morning. So it worked out to be a nice little vacation. But not really a vacation, but uh, kind of a fun trip. Ship 984, uh, let's see total hours 7200 uh no, 72883 uh and total landings 52790. So I guess the the fifty-two thousand seven hundred ninetieth, or however you would say that, uh, was mine. The last landing in uh, ship nine eighty four, most likely, unless they change their mind and bring it back. Uh, but uh, so, at Acme Airlines, we are um, retiring one or two every month or two. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the number is. And they have slowed that down by the end of the twenty two a month by the end of the uh, year. by the end of the year. And, and there
7: was five this but, weekend.
3: The uh, But they, you know, that, as you know, uh, that number is fluctuating, uh, just like the DC-9s when they were retiring and the 727 and the L-1011 fleets. Uh, they, they they come out with these schedules and they say that they're going to be all gone by this point. But that's all, you know, that's just supposition. Uh, it's all based on the number of airplanes that we're getting uh, deliveries of new airplanes coming in to, re- to replace that seat capacity. Uh, but regardless, um Took one of them into the desert and another airline, American Airlines, uh, who flew a huge number of uh, mad dogs, ended up flying their last, I think they had like two dozen um, to go that they all retired um, yesterday, I believe, the 4th of September were their last revenue flights. And I think they're all in Roswell in the desert, not Roswell, Georgia, but Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, except one, I believe there's still one out there that is going to be used for de-icing training or something for the next two or three weeks. I don't know why would they do that? But anyway, um, so, uh, was looking through, and this is one of those hashtags that you should look for on Twitter, uh, hashtag super 80 Sendoff. lots of good stuff in there about a lot of these last flights that they performed on the mad dog over in American airlines, including one uh, that I have a little bit of audio from, where the captain gets on and addresses the passengers, and this is a Dallas Fort Worth to Chicago O'Hare flight, the uh, flight number super, or, uh, excuse me, flight number eighty. Uh, normally, flight number eighty is Dallas to London, I believe, for American Airlines, and this one was Dallas to Chicago O'Hare for the special last flight of this aircraft. And let me play the little snippet of audio that the uh, captain the PA that captain gave to the uh, customers.
9: We glad to have you with us. Uh, we appreciate all you guys that love the MD-80. Uh, we all love it, that's why I've been on it since uh, 1987. Not to brag that uh, I've been on the airplane uh, longer than some of you have been alive (laughs) uh, just to tip my hat to all you youngsters Uh, have about 21,000 hours on it which is about 2.4 years I've lived 2.4 years on this airplane 882 days equal to about 21,000 hours and uh, Greg will probably have to pry my hand from the yoke after we get to Chicago, because I don't want to leave. I understand my next airplane, I might have to learn French. Anyway, it's great to have you all on board. We try to make this as fun as possible. Uh, probably some more festivities in Chicago when we get there. And uh, so glad that you all are on this last passenger flight for American Airlines on the md 80. Kind of a sad day for me. I've been dreading this for so long because I've had so much fun on this airplane. And uh, thanks to all of you who have uh, paid for my mortgage, my cars, my kids through college, braces. I've been on this since 1987, except for a couple of years. And it's been a great career. I could, I could walk away today and be happy. I have five more years to go. Unfortunately, the uh, MD-80 doesn't. This airplane, uh, many of you probably know, was the last one, I believe, to roll off the assembly line in uh, Long Beach. This is the last MB-80 made. And uh, this afternoon, we'll put it to bed out in Roswell. As we take off, Fort Worth's on the right. We're departing south on one, runway 18 left. Dallas on the left. We'll turn out to the right and fly out over Fort Worth. And uh, we'll, I'll be back with you after takeoff once we get up to our cruising altitude. Flight attendants, please, prepare for takeoff.
3: Wow. Wow. 21,000 hours. Now, I thought I had a lot of time in the Mad Dog. Uh, But he's like a lot of the guys at uh, Acme Airlines, uh, Dana, who Mm -hmm. initially were trained uh, as a first officer, and they stayed on it long enough to switch over to the left seat. Oh, that kind of sounds like somebody I know. Yeah. Uh, Right here with us, Dana. Right here. Um, And uh, we have a lot of people like that um, at Acme that did the same exact thing. So I'm sure that many of the folks at acme have close to that uh, number of t- uh, hours on the airplane i only have 12000 uh, on it um, i'm right behind you for my 17 and a half years so yeah there you go i'm um, not very
7: far behind you yeah it's uh, you know you mentioned 984 and 984 i flew just uh, what two days before you took it to the desert? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it you know I, I can relate to this captain the way he feels because when uh, we arrived in Atlanta from Birmingham on that on that very short flight on 984 um, maintenance came up and met the aircraft and and he said yeah this one's going to the desert this weekend uh, and how ironic is it that that I knew that and and Jeff came up and uh, well Jeff uh, actually flew the airplane to uh, the desert. I'm of course, very jealous of that. I've never done that, but uh, anyways, I uh, I, w- I teared up and took a lot of photographs, uh, knowing that that was the last time I would ever fly ship nine eighty four. So um it's it's humbling because this aircraft has been around for a very long time. It's been a very reliable, very uh, very much the workhorse of uh, you know American fleet, our fleet, um, mm-hmm. and uh, in my opinion, probably one of the most. Uh, most long lived, uh, other than the 5.7, I think, uh, aircraft in, in most most anybody's fleet. Um, I think it's outlasted uh, the length of the 7.2 at this point, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's it's Could close. Be. It's pretty close. I think, right. I, th- I mean, we're talking, uh, this came to, in, into service in 87. So that's what, 32 years of service um, for us so far, and it's going to be longer than that. Um, so in American, is uh a very close to that or like an exceedance of that i think and yeah. uh, the l ten wasn't around that long dc-10 wasn't around as long uh 757 i think is the only aircraft that in, in 75 and 76 or an exceedance of that amazing yeah
3: it has been uh, out there for quite some time um micah asks he's in our live chat room were you able to fly that trip in shirt sleeves or were you required to wear your uniform and uh, when we do ferry flights such as these retirement flights, Micah, it is not a requirement for us to wear our uniform. And normally I do. Uh, but this time I decided I would just wear the kind of clothes that I would wear uh, when I go to training. And so I was wearing khakis and a, you know, a long sleeve uh, button down shirt and uh, it kind of felt weird, you know, especially walking up to the gate. And, uh, you know, the, the gate agent looks at me and goes, may I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm here to fly this airplane to San Bernardino. And she said, "Oh, okay. You know, showed him, showed her my ID and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it just felt weird flying in the airplane it's without. A, it's being the
5: gray hair and the uniform. mustache that just gives you that instant credibility? Isn't it? Uh, like, oh okay, yeah, this guy yeah, you, is definitely just going to.
6: fly. You shouldn't need your ID. You could just get. A, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> ID, yeah. my ID. By the way, you've done uh, one year and four months on board, so that's not bad. Have, going. have I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
5: A whole year. Yeah, well, of it seems like a dedicated. You know.
3: Yeah, it's like uh, the, the irony of it. Of course, you know I've mentioned many times was the it was the airplane I was never going to fly. I never flew it as a first officer, and uh, I thought it was just going to be a quick stop before I jumped back over to uh, the Boeing fleet, the seven thirty seven. But uh, after I started flying it, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know why people always give this airplane such a bad time. It's really not that bad, and in fact, it's kind of fun to fly. And then I started getting seniority, and I went, oh. I like the seniority thing. I've been hearing <laughs> folks talk about this for many, many years, and I never really understood it. It's like one of those things where you don't really understand it until you get it mm-hmm. or you have it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, aha, I, or it's taken away from you. Right. Or you or you give it up on your own volition, mm-hmm. <laughs> Dana. <laughs> yes, I know. So uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, seniority is a very nice thing. And so here I am, 17 and almost a half year, uh, 17 and a half years later. Still on it. And I kind of felt, you know, I, I could kind of identify with this captain's PA when he said, hey, I have five years left. Unfortunately, the Mad Dog doesn't. And we're, we're still hoping, <laughs> or I am, that I'll be able to somehow work a, a, a miracle and stay on the Mad Dog fleet, whether it be the MD-90 or the whatever, uh, before I retire. But, you know, if I have to move to something else, we'll move to something else. Well,
7: you know, in... in- I have to say, Jeff, she just reached out and grabbed your heart, the mad dog. Yeah. I mean, once you started flying and got got used to it, and and realized how great of an airplane it truly is, and everybody's naysaying it, uh, it's it's because it's not a Boeing, it's a McDonnell Douglas. It's just not, a, you know, it, it it's just not the same airplane. So, so
3: it's very idiosyncratic, and uh, yeah. it um, it's um, it's hard to describe that once. When you first start flying it you're just going like what is going on here it's like it doesn't feel the same as most airplanes that have uh, hydraulically actuated control surfaces and and uh, it, because you're you know you're activating control tabs to move the control surfaces and it's like a big 172 really yeah, it is. when you when you think about it how can you not and love it, that I know right? it's, it's like fun yeah it's once fun. you once you kind of adapt to it your brain kind of understands What's going on? Then you go. oh, I kind of, kind of enjoyed this. This is very nice. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, you know, I was kind of skeptical when he said that this was the last um, eighty that flew that uh, went off the line in Long Beach, and I think that can't be right because you know we fly MD eighty eights at Acme, and so I I looked at the uh, tail number of this airplane that this captain was on that flew that last Dallas to uh, Chicago a hair flight. And sure enough, it it was like delivered to TWA um, in January of 1999. And oh, wow. I think our last um, M88s were delivered before 99. I think they were mid-90s. Yeah, I think were some of the last ones. Yeah. Uh, n- the 90s, I, I think some of the last ones were like late 90s uh, for us. Uh, but uh, yeah, sure enough, um, TWA uh, was absorbed by American and they ended up uh, picking up these airplanes and yeah it was the last one that was off the uh, assembly line a- at Long Beach Airport so it was interesting I thought
7: and Main me and Micah had mentioned uh, regarding my comment uh, about the mad dog 80 and the mad dog um, um, 88 uh, that the seven that had, it has not outlasted the 737 I actually would say that it has because it's the variant the 737, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, uh, 700, 800, 900, um, those, I don't think any of those variants have lasted as long as, let's say, an MD-88 has. You see what I'm not saying? like individual. Individual variants. So the whole 737 line, I would absolutely agree yeah. with you, man and Micah, that it has outlasted, obviously, because it's a 1950s design, by the way, early 60s. That um, was
3: the 7.3, uh, uh, the initial seven thirty seven. Did that come out before the DC nine? Uh, I think it was right around the same time. Um, I think. Yeah, because I was well, very- I would say the DC nine is part of our family. It it um, it sure is heritage. But just just the the, the long and it is DC nine right up through seven one seven. Because fact. really, what we were flying is a DC nine eighty eight exactly. A DC nine dash ninety. In All right, the seven three
7: seven. Yeah, 737-100, then the 200. 200 was around for quite a long time, Um, but I don't think any one of the specific variants have ever outlasted the 80 series, Um, and specifically if you look at the 81A283 and then the 88, uh, series, I don't think that you'll find the 737s beat that. Well, I think the this is first, one of those things where it is going to
3: go ahead.
5: Oh, the first uh, DC 9 entered step. airline service in 1965, according to Wikipedia. And let's see about the 730s. That might have been 63.
7: I
6: might be wrong. Oh, hasn't that right. lasted the uh, Cessna 172?
7: Mm. No, that is the... <laughs> I'm talking about b well. e 52 152 <laughs> and 172, those are the longest, right?
5: 1967.
7: 67, so that went two
5: years Actually, uh, Initial model was launched in February 1965, blah, 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 blah for, uh, Who knows? Somewhere around the same time. <laughs>
8: okay. about that?
5: I think 1967 is what it's saying.
3: Yeah, so, well, you know, we can argue about this in the bar, Yes. So why don't we continue uh, the show here by uh, moving off that subject. Uh, but basically, we just wanted to mention the fact that, and we have been talking about it on and off uh, for quite some time, uh, the impending uh, retirement of all of Americans, Mad Dogs. And uh, looks like now they're pretty much all retired, uh, but we're still flying them. So if you're out there and you want to fly on a Mad Dog, Acme is your ticket. And... Speaking of tickets, actually, that's not a very good segue because General uh, Electric Aviation did not send me any tickets. But I did get a goodie bag from them, uh, and I meant to put some pictures in here, but I'll, I'll try to remember to put them in the show notes. Got a uh, a challenge coin, only one, though. So, so if I take my challenge coin and tap it when I'm around you, Nick, do you still owe me a beer? Uh, no. Oh, nice because try. you have to have one, too? Dang it. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, some stickers, some GE stickers, uh, a nice book, uh, a GE aviation history book and a, a uh, ball cap, um, uh, that I've been using for, uh, my walks general electric e- aviation. So thank you, GE for uh, sending the goodies. I asked them to send a whole bunch of others because there are four hosts of the show, but, uh, I'm not sure if they just ignored they that or don't they... care about
5: the rest of yeah. us. That's yeah, right. we're really know we our place. Are irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. They know I'm
6: but, a Rolls you know, choice plate uh,
3: I'll I'll hand out the goodies that I have left over to you guys when I see you next, okay?
5: Oh good, the leftover goodies. We like those.
3: Thanks, well, I mean, <laughs> i you know, not really left over. Uh, pe- somebody has need down. the challenge coin. Uh, yeah. If you if hey, whoever the, wants to challenge bench coin, I... want.
5: yeah. it's fine. No, we, if we you call an Indian gift giver.
3: Okay, moving on. Uh, let's see anything else here. Yeah. Um, I was going to have a meetup, a, a very quick, uh, short notice meetup in Oklahoma city the other day, but, uh, didn't get there. It was, we had a little mechanical issue and had to switch airplanes and a couple hours late arriving and it wasn't a long layover anyway. So sorry, Alex in Oklahoma city, we were going to meet together and perhaps some others, uh, but, uh, didn't get to do that. So no meetups, uh, for me at least since the last show. And uh, none really scheduled until uh, the one in Frankfurt. So looking forward to that. So if you're listening and you're you're in the um, uh, Frankfurt, Germany area, uh, make sure you come out and hang out with us. Wow, look at that big donkey you have there on the on the microphone, Nick.
6: Yeah, yeah, I know it's good, isn't it? Very nice.
7: <laughs> hey, it's almost quick- as much as the, it's almost like the JA right behind the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding okay. love you nick Do you see my back
5: there it's hiding I'll, oh yeah you just
3: barely mm-hmm. <laughs> next to the uh ch- chihuahua.
5: yeah next to the taco bell hui, uh, <laughs> who sings which i did not know so my thanks to the van ram again. the
3: actual uh
5: yeah although it's i think this one's been around for a while i'm not sure if it's
3: supposed
4: oh, to sound like very that well. it, it's it
5: sings like <laughs> i sing so oh
3: Okay, so very, very nice. Okay. <laughs> I could um, play it
5: for demonstration.
3: <laughs> so I don't know if it was it the last show that I tried to make some kind of a, a funny little comment about uh, facet and facetious. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, it fell mm-hmm, a little maybe. flat. Yeah, well, uh, I started thinking about it, and I'm thinking, well, I think that those two words are associated with each other, but apparently the only the only, um similarity they have is the uh, the letters <laughs> the way they're spelled the first five letters of facet and the first five letters of facetious are the same but when i looked up the etymology of the two words uh yeah not even not even closely related in any way so that is one of those you killing our percentages jeff I know we're way below fifty yeah. percent, or I am anyway. Sorry, bringing One everybody down. One comes
5: from face, the other comes from witty. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah,
3: there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kept looking for, you know, the roots and you know from the Greek roots and the French roots and that kind of Latin roots, and now nope. anyway, I I tried. Okay, so what, I, what can I just we need say? To-
6: You're very trying.
3: Yes, I am. Thank you <laughs> for for those who know me. That is so true. All right. With that, shall we go on to the coffee fund? Please. All right, here we go. <laughs> Please,
10: Johnny. How much about more about
2: coffee? No so thanks.
3: I love coffee. I love tea. I love
2: the APG community.
3: Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. cup. Yes, the Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially. And since the last episode, we have a couple who used the Coffee Fund classic method, a recurring payment from Randolph Ackerman, and a payment from Edward Lahaney, or we know him as J.J. Pittsburgh. So thank you guys for contributing to the show via the Coffee Fund classic method. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Guy. And since the last show, we have a couple new producers. Yay! We have Matthew Key and Paul Shelton. And a new executive producer, Marianne McNally. So thank you, Marianne and Matthew and Paul, for joining the Coffee Fund cadre, the Coffee Bar Fund, or whatever you want to call it. We really do appreciate it. If you want to join these wonderful people, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll learn all about how you can become part of this August group. Thank you.
8: Stand by for news.
3: All right, let's start off with the first item in our news folder. And this involves one of two airlines that we're going to talk about on today's show who uh, shut down and basically disappeared, supposedly, and have now reappeared. Midwest Express announces airline relaunch at the Milwaukee airport. It's making its way back to Milwaukee. The Midwest Express brand will be in the air by the end of 2019, The airline announced Wednesday at Milwaukee-Mitchell International Airport. In August, Midwest Express entered into an agreement with Elite Airways to provide flight operations for the Midwest. The Elite Airways aircraft with Midwest Express branding will fly to three destinations out of the Milwaukee Airport, Cincinnati, Omaha, Nebraska, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. Midwest Express President Greg Aratakis said the airline saw a serious need for service to these three cities based on historical data and feedback from the community. We received input from many local businesses regarding their travel needs, and this feedback factored into our choice of initial destinations, he said. And uh, Midwest Express operated from 1984 to 2009. It was based in Oak Creek and operated from General Mitchell International Airport. In 2010, the airline merged with Frontier Airlines Airlines, and the Midwest brand disappeared in 2011. They were nationally recognized for nonstop service to Midwestern cities, great customer service, comfortable seating, and warm chocolate chip cookies for passengers. They were the Doubletree Hotel of airlines, I guess. When we started, they didn't put that in the article, I just added that. When we started talking to customers about what they wanted, we asked them, what are you looking for? Uh, cookies. The, uh, they replied. Cookies, of course. <laughs> Hot chocolate chip cookies. Uh, what I think is amazing to a lot of people is that the big seats weren't the first thing on everyone's list. It was convenience. Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abale, Abale said the country is excited traveler. oh, the county is excited that travelers can get nonstop flights out of their hometown airport. Providing nonstop flights to key business destinations fills an important niche. And we, or if you're French, niche. And we couldn't be happier to welcome Midwest Express back home. So, a little blurb about Elite Airways. Uh, Dana, you've probably seen Elite Airways um, at least in one location, Melbourne. That's where I always see them. Yep. Uh, They're flying uh, RJs, and looks like they're based in Portland, Maine. I had no idea that Elite Airways was uh, based in Portland, Maine. And as of August 2016, the airline operates a fleet of one... Bombardier CRJ-100. Didn't even know there was such a thing. Five Bombardier CRJ-200 aircraft, both fitted with 50 passenger seats. And five Bombardier CRJ-700 aircraft fitted with 70 seats. Of course, that was 2016, so uh, three years ago. So I'm sure their fleet has changed a bit. But uh, anyway, so that's great that they're, they're coming back. And more jobs for our wonderful uh, listeners who are
6: trying to get into uh, the civil world. Yeah.
3: Yes. Now, if you're listening and you need a job, flying job, and you're in um, Africa, you can maybe put in your application with Uganda Airlines. They disappeared nearly 20 years ago. Well, not disappeared, but they stopped operating uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, After a delay to flights that lasted nearly 20 years, Uganda Airlines has once again taken to the skies above Africa, restoring its status as the country's national carrier. This is from CNN.com. Commercial services resumed on Tuesday with a flight from Entebbe to Nairobi in neighboring Kenya that the airline hoped will usher in a profitable new era for the formerly debt-ridden brand. Uganda Airlines said its fleet of twin-engine Bombardier CRJ-900 regional jet airliners will soon connect to destinations including Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, Mogadishu in Somalia, and Yuba? Is that the way you pronounce that? J-U-B-A? Juba? Yep, i would say so. Or Juba. Okay, in uh, South Sudan. Uh, more farther-flung places will follow. Uh, the airline's director of marketing and public affairs said... Uh, pardon? You cheated. You didn't read out her name. Bamutoraki. Jennifer Bamarutaraki, the airlines director. Uh, Yeah, you didn't have to point that out (laughs) Uh, to everybody. I'm proud of you, Nick. See see what I did there? Yeah. (laughs) Just skip the name. (laughs) I'm not going to try that one. Services to the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Rwanda, Zimbabwe, Ghana, South Africa, and Rwanda. Well, they said Rwanda. Huh. they're going to go to Rwanda twice. So good. They said it twice. Just like go around a, uh, a cylinder. Yeah, uh, stomach cramps. It, stomach cramps times three. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's interesting. Apparently, the revival of the brand originally founded by dictator Idi Amin in 1977. There's a history for it. You. Worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were grounded in 2001 amid financial difficulties. I, mean, I thing. And they're.
6: A colorful tail, don't you think? And it looks like their logo is a secretary bird.
5: Is that what that is? It's not a a rooster?
6: What? What kind of bird? I think it's a secretary bird. I don't know. I think it's uh, part of the uh, flag of uh, Uganda. Okay. What is a secretary bird? It's a bird that types very well. Does about
3: 30 words <laughs> for the minute.
6: That's not very well. <laughs> no, that's better than me.
3: That's dismal. Well, it's not bad for a bird.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's only got, you know, some talons to hunt and pick with. Um, okay. Hey, I had to step away for a moment. I'm sorry there. Are we definitely having the fresh baked cookies come back with um,
3: Midwest Express? Sounds yeah, like. Well, I. Maybe. Maybe did not. Did they say definitively they were no, going to? I don't to? think they did in the article. I don't think the article said that. I mean, they they um, they mentioned the cookies. They have a they have a picture of them. Wasn't that the, best in the article part of
5: that, that airline people just love the yeah cookies? cookie?
3: Um, the uh, the caption for the photo of these chocolate chip cookies. Uh, Passengers can expect Midwest Express's legendary chocolate chip cookies when they board a Midwest Express flight by the end of the year. Excellent. Now that's according to Alana Watson. <laughs> what does she know? I don't know. Maybe somebody told her when they were doing this. News article, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Anybody out there who flies Midwest Express can let us know if you got your hot chocolate chip cookie.
7: Us had a sad rumor now; they're going to find yeah. the use of the MD eighty eights when they grow. Ah, mm-hmm. There you go. That's,
3: By the way, I because well,
7: mi-
6: they mis- did fly
3: the, uh, the bird. Uh oh!
6: It's a it's a gray. Uh, crane. It's
3: an accountant bird. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Just a regular old bookkeeping bird.
3: <laughs> book-keeping uh, it's a, a
6: pencil gray picture. crowned crane. I'm afraid.
5: Gray crowned (laughs) crane.
6: Yeah. Say that. I can see how you got that confused. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sorry about that.
5: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it's got kind of a reddish tail and crown on the. I think they've taken some liberties, perhaps, with the.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's more of a cartoon looking bird than a real one.
6: Yeah. Secretary Bird uh, is apparently more eagle like body with crane like legs. Kind of looks like a
3: roadrunner.
5: A little bit. Have you ever seen Mm. a roadrunner in person? No, I was amazed at how tiny they kind of are. I was, you know, my whole childhood. I feel like I was lied to with the Roadrunner being <laughs> this giant, <laughs> colorful bird, and in real life, they're kind of these brown, smallish birds. They do run fast. I'll say that.
7: You watch a little too much, To make too many cartoons <laughs> <laughs> in your childhood. Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough.
5: beep
3: beep 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 <laughs>
11: beep, beep. Beep. <Bo-loo-do-do-ESINhar> beep beep
3: beep beep. Okay, moving on to item C. Who wants to tackle this one? Sure. Okay. any
5: volunteers leaping at the, jumping at the bit there. I'll be happy. I mean,
3: I'll continue talking, but people getting tired of hearing me. Nobody wants to hear me. uh,
5: This is from CNN. Yeah, CNN on August 30th. Air Canada has to pay $15,000 to a couple because the word lift was not engraved on seatbelts in French. En Francais.
6: You're kidding me, right? So, what is lift in French? I have no idea. Oh, right. <laughs> <Not in laughs> somebody terms of like somebody do some table, research a... on that. Um, mm, I don't
5: know. I don't know. Anyway, let's see what else they have to say here. Um, a recent complaint turned lawsuit, however, led to a windfall for two travelers, not the airline. Uh, this week, the federal court ordered Air Canada to pay more than 15,000 US dollars or 21,000 Canadian dollars. And send formal apology letters to a French speaking couple in Ottawa for repeated language quality violations. Elever. Elever. Yeah, that's right. Elever. Elever. Um, The lawsuit concerned more than 22 complaints that uh, Michelle and Linda uh, Thibodeau, no idea, filed against what? the airline in 2016. The couple complained that the word lift was engraved on the seatbelts in English, but not in French. They also alleged that the French tra- translations of the words exit and warning were in smaller characters than the <sighs> English words. And finally, that a French-language boarding announcement at Sorry. the airport was... To- bless, you. Bless, <laughs> bless you. Bless you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't critical. fast enough. Uh, Air Canada systemically violates the linguistic rights of francophones,
6: they argued,
5: according to the judgment for the case. Uh, uh,
7: censure. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, the that's word for lift, a censure.
3: No, no, that's I an, elevator. It was an el- elevator. elevator. You
7: want the something elevator. like levol. Elevée. Yeah, look at no, uh, the... Essence is no, that's an elevator. Elevator, but it's lift and
3: lifter as well.
6: Yeah, but it's, well, it's the hmm. noun lift as opposed to the verb. Go to the
3: APG crew chat, Dana, and you'll see what Liz typed in there. <laughs> okay, I'll look We'll,
5: we'll trust her as the okay. resident Canadian here. For yeah. Moment, yes. Um. So basically signage must be of equal quality uh, blah 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 there's some <laughs> order. Oh no here, here it is the wording blah, of official blah. languages act of canada so this is the actual uh, law i suppose Uh, The purpose of this act is to ensure respect for French and English as the official languages of Canada and ensure equality of status and equal rights and privileges as to their use in all federal institutions, in particular with respect to their use in parliamentary proceedings and legislative and other instruments.
6: (laughs) 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 Why don't they just put a little arrow? Or would it have to be uh, an arrow in English and an arrow in French?
5: yeah, it has to be uh uh what, the, what was the word that they use? Bilingual quality of status. So
6: Yeah, so you I could just put a problem. symbol instead of a word.
5: See, we've you circumvented this it. in the United States by not having an official language.
7: There you go.
6: All right. Well, there you go.
7: Solever is by the by the word
3: is the verb is solever, Not elever. Okay. Maybe. We? There we go. just in case you're wondering anyway who cares what the word is i think this is ridiculous yeah waste of well we're gonna write in you're
7: gonna run it write it in five different languages you're gonna have to put it in spanish well no
3: because that's not the two official languages of Of, well that's true that's true so but i can see it in america now now that's going to be we
7: don't have official language, but, you know, everything, you, you call anything or, or look at anything, and, and it has to be in five different languages nowadays. Uh, I don't think so. Well, this, this makes happen.
5: the good point that, you know, you really should know something about the history of Canada and how uh, these two languages have come up side by side to know where some of these difficulties and complaints and, and laws come into
3: to play. True. So, you know, you look at this context, Official right. Languages Act of Canada, you look at the wording of this thing, you uh, that... Liz put in here for us uh, and the, what the purpose of the act is to do. And it, it really none of these paragraphs that are listed here in the show notes have anything to do in, in my opinion at all with, you know, putting a word, the French word for lift on the mm. seatbelt buckle. No, and- It has more to do with other things like legislative parliamentary proceedings, administrative uh, administration of justice, communicating with or providing services to the public it's about government stuff yeah the federal government that kind of thing it has nothing to do with you know safety on an airplane
5: Mm, it does say uh, advance the equal advance the equality of status of and use of the english and french languages within canadian society seems kind of vague I will say this, though, interesting experience speaking of uh, Canada and English and French and having just been in the Toronto airport where announcements are made in both English and French. um, There was a glitch with the the display screens for the uh, departures and arrivals uh, throughout the airport. It was showing something from like 2 a.m. from the day prior. So it had most of the same flight numbers listed, but all the gates were wrong. So it kept making these automated announcements for gate changes that were not correct, which was kind of funny. But for our particular flight, it made the announcement only in French. So about half the people in the boarding area, like looked around, like, <laughs> should we go to a nine or do we stay at a six and no one at the gate there moved. So I was like, I'm not going anywhere. We'll see what happens. So.
3: <laughs> I guess it worked out. And
5: then when
6: you weren't looking, all the French speaking people sneaked away.
5: Oh, I understood the announcement. Just because oh, I can't right, remember right. words or think of uh, any grammar points or anything doesn't mean I'm not – simple stuff I can understand.
3: Like, Well, producer Liz does other... make a good point. She says, Steph, you should have sued. I should have sued yeah.
5: because they did not <laughs> announce it in English. Not to be fair, the announcement was incorrect. So I'm not sure who well,
11: was. Well, it's
6: correct, correct
3: double or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, too.
5: <laughs> not only was it not correct, you didn't announce the incorrect <laughs> – Announcement
6: in English. I'm upset about that. $30,000. I'm going to need
5: some money.
3: Oh, Um, I just realized I didn't um, do the edit on this audio file for the next news story. (laughs) Oh, I will edit this. I put a note in here that said, I will edit this clip.
5: And highlighted.
3: (laughs) I was wrong. I did not. Um, Okay, let's do this. Okay, item D, or unless you are, we still uh, talking about the Canadian uh, uh, French word and all that kind think of so. stuff. I think we. No. Okay, good. No, <laughs> no. no, no, no. Okay, uh, item D. Ralph and uh, Michelle or Michael. I'm not sure how you pronounce M I C H E L. Michelle. Michelle. M-I-C-H-E-L, Michel. Uh,
5: Michel. M-I-C-H-E-L uh,
3: Usually. And others actually sent in uh, links to this um, incident, uh, various news articles regarding it and it was in Australia in Western Australia about an hour i think south of Perth is that correct uh Nick uh, Janikot uh, yeah would be about an it hour no,
6: it's uh, yeah about 20 miles south
3: of Perth and
6: uh, it's the airport where my uh uh niece
3: flies from yeah uh,
6: i thought it said captain sounded anderson to me.
3: captain anderson well anyway yeah. Uh, there was a student pilot uh, at one of the flying schools. I'm wondering if it's the same flying school that your niece is uh, employed with.
6: Uh, she, no, she works for a, uh, a rather luxurious um, ah. a tourist travel company.
3: Okay, never mind. Um, anyway, he was in his first lesson in a two-seater aircraft. I think it was a Cessna 152, if I remember correctly. And um, his instructor collapsed mid-flight. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to click on this YouTube article.
4: Let's head to Australia now for a remarkable story. Remarkable. A trainee pilot in Australia <laughs> thought his instructor was messing with him when he collapsed during their maiden lesson, forcing the novice flyer to land the Cessna 152 solo. Max Sylvester called air traffic control for help after his Kiwi-born instructor lost consciousness during their flight over Jandakot Airport in Western Australia. Now, his wife and three children were watching on as he came in to land, along with the flight school owner, Chuck McElwee.
8: Well, there's an old adage. Uh, anytime you walk, o- uh, make a landing uh, and you can walk away from it, it's a, that's a good landing. If you can use the plane again, it's a fabulous landing. And he made a fabulous landing.
3: I don't recognize that accent. Is that um, southern... a Western Australia accent? Uh, yeah, it's I don't like think it you No, know.
5: out of like <laughs> south carolina or georgia or <laughs> yeah, it sounds
3: like he's definitely from the united states yeah. and okay, i noticed
6: the picture in this article uh how many says the 172s have got retractable undercarriage um our uh, 172 rgs do is there such a thing yeah wow yeah oh this yeah one, but what what, what but picture are you looking down at? At, oh, the bottom. On the, <laughs> at the bottom on the oh next article down I mean, it looks 172-ish, but I didn't know that any of them had retractable gear. So, there you go. I've learned something. But here. the
3: one, that I think that the the actual incident aircraft was uh, one that, um, I think it was a Cessna 152 or 150, and it had uh, fixed gear. Oh, okay. Uh, so,
6: this is not the right airplane. Oh, right. never mind.
3: Yeah.
5: Well, it was close by journalism Pretty standards. Pretty close.
6: Yeah, yeah,
3: actually, Close-ish. darn close for journalist.
5: Right. Yeah.
3: Anyway, shall I continue with this little? Yeah. Uh, all
4: right. Utterly amazing. Up Take away. us through it. So he's he's up in the plane. How far through the lesson were they?
8: Uh, they were uh, coming back from uh, the lesson, and we have entry points into the airport. And he had uh, just passed the entry point, and then his instructor passed out. And he thought the instructor was just messing with him, but he soon realized that that was not the case. And uh, so uh, he proceeded to the airport and told people what to do. I mean, if you've heard the live ATC, he, that's he starts saying he's got an emergency. And uh, anyway, the tower comes to the party, and they do, do their tower thing, and they get extra calm, and they get all the distractions out of the area. Your, your job right now is just keep focusing on that aircraft um, as best you can. Um, secondary to that is just to keep his head upright and his body upright in the seat. Um, but we're going to uh, get you on the ground very soon and get uh, both of you guys uh, on the ground safely. And i sent an instructor up to back up the tower if they had any other questions. And Anyway, just all work together.
4: Well, that's the understatement of the century, Chuck. <laughs>
8: hey, we need more feel-good stories like this.
4: Well, so in the control room, you say that you know the air traffic controller went all calm. I mean, that person was as cool as a cucumber. So, what were they doing? Visualizing the inside of the plane? How do you give someone instructions who's never landed a plane before?
8: Well, uh, you know, this uh, Jandakot out here, the airport we're at.
3: Okay, like that's enough of that. Um, so, yeah, did a good he, job, uh, his instructor, yeah, yeah he uh, did a great job. And uh, at some point in the audio, uh, I think he was being interviewed by someone, or maybe it was while he was still flying. But uh, he said that his instructor had said that he was one of the best students that he's flown with. Uh, so I guess this was like his third flight, but maybe his first actual lesson. So he had been up in the airplane a few times. He had seen his instructor land which obviously was helpful. And apparently he's, he has some natural ability, which is definitely mm-hmm. a key for him to land the airplane safe. Sounds good.
5: Yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah. That's kind of how I started off with my flying lessons. The first two flights weren't actual lessons that I took, but
8: mm-hmm.
5: you know, sitting up front and getting some explanation of what was going on. I think that would have been helpful if he had some, a similar experience to that.
3: Right. So good on him. Uh, for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. paying attention to what the instructor was doing before he actually had to take the controls himself and land the airplane and uh, did, a, did a good job of it. In fact, uh, there were some comments made by some folks witnessing it that it was uh, a better-than-average landing that uh, was made by, by uh, this Yeah, I was man. watching the
7: video on it, and it's uh, quite, a, yeah. <laughs> I would almost say, almost picture-perfect landing. For that. Nice. Yeah, it was a beautiful touchdown.
5: So they can just sign off on his license now. Here you yeah. go. There you nice. go.
3: You made there it. There you go. All right. Continuing with item E uh, a U.S. appeals court says travelers can sue the American government over abusive conduct by federal airport screeners because the agents can act like law enforcement officers, including when they conduct invasive searches well they do wear badges but they're not really officers or law enforcement officers but uh anyway they uh, decided that hey uh they don't treat you very well at the tsa um and you have a case you can actually sue them and uh make so do you happen.
6: sue the tsa or do you sue the, the individual? individual
5: i think it's the individual mm-hmm. i don't know because it says, uh, the U S government is generally immune from lawsuits. I'm not sure about that, but a federal law allows people to file lawsuits over the actions of officers who can conduct searches and arrest people. So it sounds like the individual to me.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because usually a, a federal worker or officer would be protected by that, by that, uh, protection against, you know, being sued, but, uh. Apparently not so much anymore
6: mm-hmm. hmm. Spencer okay. in the uh, chat room says you sue the government.
5: Okay. okay. Well, either way, you can sue someone what is we, like <laughs> we like that.
3: We like the suing thing. That's the second story we've Hell had it. on this show so far about people suing people. Mm. It should be uh, a loses pay pay system.
7: That's, that would that would yeah, help that would out, nice. help it out immensely.
3: Get rid of all these
7: frivolous
4: yeah, lawsuits. You think. hmm
3: Okay. And finally, last item that we have here. Uh, this is sent in from Jonathan. And he said, was per- perusing the internet today. Came across this great story about an EasyJet pilot who didn't want his vacation flight to be canceled and agreed to pick up for a pilot who couldn't make the flight. I imagine at ACME it would be much harder for this uh, to even be considered because of all the different plane types. But have you heard of anything like this? How about Acme Red? Looking forward to hearing you all discuss. And so the item that he to which he's referring is uh, thus. Michael Bradley was due to fly from Manchester Airport to Alicante with his wife and young son on Monday, but they faced delays due to a missing captain. Determined not to let the crew shortage affect him, he volunteered his services and took to the tanoy? I've never seen that word before. Is that correct, Nick? Did, have you ever seen that either? Tanoi, uh,
6: just a Tanoi. Yeah, it's a, it's a. Actually, it's a bit like calling a vacuum cleaner a Hoover. It's a former personal address system. Oh, okay. A broadcast system made by tanner uh, So Kleenex. Uh, in our country, oh. for example, it's now generic with the system.
3: Kleenex, brownie, Yep, There is a name well, for those products. Not so much anymore. Mm-hmm. those manufacturers yeah. that make yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Never, never heard of that. So thank you. Uh, so he went to that the public address system to inform his fellow passengers of his decision, and uh, there was. Uh, he, he made the announcement in the airplane in front of the passengers, and several people were videotaping with their, or video recording with their telephones, and I have a little bit of audio. I actually did do this, and you can hear him explaining what's going on to the passengers of this flight.
10: My wife, who's on row 50 with my little boy. He's early, hopefully he's asleep by right now, she keep it down, I'll we'll get told off. She rolled over and punched me in the back of the head and said, our flight's delayed by two hours because they are minus one captain for the flight. The reason why, they've already canceled the Budapest today. They've canceled the Paris. The Faro is three hours late and there's several other airplanes that are going two, three, four hours late, who knows? So just before we went through security, I thought, wonder if this is worth a phone call? I think (laughs) it is, because I'd like to go on holiday. So I phoned a BG and said, Aya. Uh, I'm standing in the terminal doing nothing. I've got my license with me, deliberately, from being pushed in the back of the head, at 3 a.m.
11: I've got my ID
10: with me, and I'd very much like to go on holiday, and if you need a favor, I'm standing here ready to go. And I said, we'll phone you back. 38 seconds later, they phoned me back I said, please, please, pretty please, with a big cherry on top, can you fly the aeroplane to Alicante? We're going to position another pilot out from some other base to bring the aeroplane back here. I thought <laughs> I'll stick a pair of shoes on just in case. So if you're all right for one of your pilots to look like for this today, we'll go to, <laughs> to our campsite <laughs> Right. The other thing is the reason why originally it said two hours on the board is they're waiting for a captain to come from Liverpool. He was on home standby, so they have to phone him out. It takes him ninety minutes to get to here. That's just to get to the terminal. That's
3: Anyway, so he goes on a little bit more, but uh, you get the picture. Um, he said, hey, I'm qualified to fly this jet. I work for this company, and I'm not in my uniform, but uh, let's see what happens. And th- the thing that concerned me until I heard him explain this during this uh, PA was, well, okay, so he's going to get the jet to Alicante, but what happens then? I mean, how are they going to get, you know, is he going to fly it back? Uh, but as he said, they were going to position another pilot from another location to Alicante that, to fly. That's the, the first back, thought so. I thought of.
7: how was gonna get the, he's gonna get it yeah. there? He's gonna get to, to go, on I, I go on vacation. I don't care. I
5: just want to go on vacation. I don't care about anyone who yeah, needs to get it. You home guys work it out. Hours. That's not important,
3: <laughs> obviously. Or you could say he could kind of insinuate or or uh, in whatever let them know or think that he was gonna fly it back. And then when he gets there goes, Oh no, I'm sorry. That's a misunderstanding. I I'm, feel I'm terrible on vacation suddenly. <laughs> sorry. Good luck. Yeah.
6: I, I, yeah, no, it is a cool story. I, I can't imagine I'd be quite so keen to list all the uh, delays and and failures that my company had to yeah. uh, that resulted in this. Uh, because I would, I would, have by all means stood up and said, "Look, just in case you're worried, uh, I'm actually a qualifying captain. I was passengering, and now I'm going to fly the airplanes. Hence, I'm not wearing my uniform and just got on with the job." But uh, it did sound a little self-serving to me.
3: But he, at the very beginning of that, he did blame it on the French air traffic controller strike.
6: Oh, did he? <laughs> uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's well, why, all, oh, that's why all, all the other were flights delayed. were canceled. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: But oh, he should have, I would have reemphasized that. I was started with that and ended with that. Oh, by the way, did I mention it was the French air traffic controllers exactly. that messed all this up for us?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. But, uh, yeah, we've uh, had a few cases uh, where we've had um, deadheading or passengering uh, pilots. Uh, where you get a pilot go sick, and uh, they've held up their hand and gone, oh, well, I've only had a couple of beers. Uh, I could step up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have a little of that. I feel <laughs> fine. <laughs> no worries. So, Don't no, I, I'm pretty sure we've, uh, we've had that a couple of times. Uh, uh, I remember chatting to a skipper who uh, – flew uh, out or flew home from somewhere in his jeans because he didn't have uniform with him. He volunteered to operate a sector.
3: I'd be a little concerned about the fact that this guy's wife hit him in the back of the head. Right. He Sounds mentioned that slight. a few times. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think she have.
5: was the one who was really.
6: Yeah. She was honest. not happy about She's the like, fact that. We're
5: not going to be late for holiday.
6: <laughs> no,
7: and you can get paid to take us there too. You yeah. Win, win. Me. <laughs> Very nice. I, yeah, I've, thought about that with us uh, there mm-hmm. jeff i don't yeah. know it because then that's circumnavigating, circ- circumnavigating seniority they didn't put it out for oh, yeah, on, I, don't know. On, I guess it depends the, on the
5: seniority system i mean
7: yeah. they have to put it out on on i would imagine they have to put it out as a white slip if you're mm-hmm. not um on reserve
6: well, if you're an Acme, yeah, because you guys right. kind of get paid extra. We get paid a salary. I don't know what uh, right. Easy's policy mm-hmm. is, but I doubt very much they were the same system as
3: you. Yeah, Dana makes a good point. Yeah, that that would be extraordinary if something like this happened um, at Acme or.
5: I guess I could see maybe it happening if the next nearest pilot was very very far away, like they would yeah. have to come from.
3: And they yeah. they said just unusual circumstances. Right, right. Sorry, we yeah, circumvented. They must have a caveat
6: the, uh, where they can. Uh, Use that excuse, surely. Yeah, I don't know. But if it's only two
5: hours and it's got to go to the most senior person, then operational necessity
6: they... or something.
3: Well, you know what yeah. would happen, Dana. Probably whoever it was supposed to go to, they would have paid them as well, even though they didn't actually show up and actually fly.
6: <laughs> yeah, that would be great. You just sit at home and no, that happens. Goes,
3: Oh yeah, have to have have a thousand dollars. Perfect. No, Here. that really have, does okay. happen. That'd
7: be a lot more than that, but yes.
3: I, I was fine <laughs> with a guy that uh, he said that he just got this call from the company or Alpha and said, Oh, by the way, you're gonna get uh, paid for a two day trip that you were supposed to be awarded like five months ago. And hmm. uh, he said, What? <laughs> he didn't even, he didn't know, even know about it. No, he didn't <laughs> grieve it or anything else, but I guess they do some they do an audit on occasion. To make sure that they were following the proper, you know, protocols for assigning trips, and they found out that not only he but some others had should have been awarded these trips and weren't, and uh, company made you know made made right with it. Um, And so he said he got a couple, couple extra bucks in his paycheck for not even doing it anything. So
6: I love it. Yeah,
3: I guess you have to kind of, you know, that's part of the balance of things, right, Dana? Because sometimes we. Get the other end of the stick.
8: Right. <laughs> Dan, seems he gets it more than well, everybody else. They, but, they take yeah, yeah, that, money yeah.
3: away from you for uh, working? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not quite that extreme. <laughs> <laughs> no, see. that only
5: happens in medicine.
3: Oh, now. really?
5: Yeah, actually, sometimes.
3: Uh-oh. Oh, that doesn't sound good at all. I won't go into it. This is not
5: the.
6: We'll keep taking your me. money away until morale improves. That's right.
5: Exactly. Well, We're not
6: happy until morale. everybody's not
3: happy here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's be> okay. <laughs> Time for your feedback, Captain. Incoming message. So let's start with our first item in the feedback folder from Omaha Todd. Well, I saw my first go around today after years of spotting at the Lewis and Clark Monument just east of Epley Airfield, Omaha, Nebraska, Kilo Oscar Mike Alpha, and on the bluff, hence Council Bluffs. Oh, okay. That's uh, really pretty. Uh, uh, Just to the east of the Epley Airfield are... These bluffs that rise up. I guess that's what they call them bluffs on the other side of the Missouri River. Really pretty. Um, anyway, that's where he was uh, watching the airport operations. And he said, After years of watching operations from here, I could tell something wasn't right. I saw this American Airlines flight drastically maneuvering left and right. They looked high and fast. I could only figure they were trying to scrub speed and altitude. And at about 200 feet above the ground, over the threshold, they pitched up. And declare to go-around. And he said he had the live ATC app going on his phone, which is a great app to have, by the way. Uh, my question is, how many times have you or Nick, Dana, or Steph had to do this? And what does your company think about it? Uh, the air traffic controller asked after they got reconfigured for the reason that they went around, and they said, well, we were just too high. I assume ATC is trained to let them get established on a go-around before they ask why. Yes. And they waited till they cleared the runway. What is protocol for you as a pilot and the ATC? Thanks in advance, Omaha Todd. Hope you do another meetup. Oh, (laughs) it was great when Captain Dana joined us the day you gave him his captain stripes. Dirty side down, fellas. Okay, so Todd was one of those who was at that particular meetup at uh, Blatt's yes uh, he was we were there. and i'll be in omaha later this month check oh, it out okay and Have again long sorry, t- sorry todd i didn't uh, contact you to let you know we were there um anyway so regarding his observation of the go around and he had some questions related to it um and so he's asked us a- asking us how many times well i don't know i haven't counted how many times i've gone around in lots. my career lots yeah me. You well, Have you, Steph?
5: Have I gone around before? Yeah, yeah. sure. I,
3: I, well, I saw I you. I saw you go Jeff around. Jeff saw once. me go around. <laughs> yeah, at uh, downtown. In fact, downtown Green Greenville. was here in Greenville, mm-hmm. Greenville downtown. Yep. Why did you do that, Steph?
5: I was too fast.
3: Too fast, and I
5: floated halfway down the runway.
3: Yeah. So yeah. that's so, a good reason.
5: Yep. I didn't uh, didn't just like how it looked, and um, just wanted to make sure. I was in the Cirrus, and it's it's pretty easy to be a few knots fast there, and it gets into ground effect and doesn't want to land, and it also doesn't like to stop very quickly. So it's nice to have a little bit extra room left on the runway. So um, yeah, not my greatest approach. Went around did again, and it was just fine on the second attempt.
3: Yeah, from my vantage point, it looked everything looked fine. I didn't even notice mm-hmm. you were floating at all, but obviously oh, yeah. you were in the airplane, and you
5: could yeah, we were not tell. on the ground there, so it looked like it yeah. from the the restaurant over there, but yeah
3: um other times um what what are some other reasons that you've had to go around stuff
5: uh deer on the runway okay um yeah oh yeah oh (laughs) Oh, dear uh let's see what else um definitely especially during training just um you know approaches that aren't going great too high too fast
7: not stabilized
5: not stabilized um, a lot practice to instrument it. approaches. Practice instrument approaches. You go around all the time because you actually right. don't plan on, on landing. That's, you know, you're just doing a practice approach. So at the end of that approach, you're going to go around and set up for another approach just to work on the approaches. You don't need the landings per se there, but you want to practice the, the instrument procedures.
7: I actually don't think uh, airliners go around as much as you, we we mentioned maybe earlier. Um,
5: I saw an airliner go around this past Saturday right.
7: morning yeah. I, I think in the f- 16 17 17 almost 18 years I I've been flying at the uh, in the airline business um, I've gone around maybe three or four times uh, my most memorable one is up in Toronto Liz on a snowy afternoon behind a mad dog 88 actually 83 American Airlines It's the first one I ever did as an airline pilot when I was on the RJ, uh, and it was a snowy day and the, they used up pretty much all the runway. So we had to go around. So that was my first time ever going around in the airliner, but I haven't gone, I haven't gone around a whole lot in my career. And it's not, not discouraged. I mean, if you're not stabilized, if you don't meet the criteria, um, and, uh, the you know, situation doesn't look good, then you know, certainly they want you to go around because they want you to come through uh, 1,000 feet configured
3: and then uh, fully stabilized by 500 feet. Yes, they expect us to yeah, go around if we have not met the stabilization criteria for an approach. Um, and I was going to say, m- for me, most of the times that I've had to um, initiate a go-around was due to the airplane preceding us still on the runway. Yeah, not clearing in a timely fashion or whatever. you like missing that last high speed, or whatever, and then just going, "Yeah, this is not going to work out." And then the tower controller usually is the one that says, "Yeah, um, go ahead and go around." Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, every single one. Every single one of
7: my one of my go arounds in the airline business has been for that exact reason.
8: Mm-hmm.
3: Um. Yeah. So we have, uh, as Dana alluded, uh, several criteria that we must adhere to uh you know like at a thousand feet you know be within a certain parameter on the lateral and and uh, glide path to the um to the runway and configuration has to be completed by that point your landing configuration and if it's visual conditions uh, by 500 feet your speed has to be within a certain time uh or uh, not time but a parameter with close to your Actual computed reference speed uh, at a thousand feet, you might be a little bit fast, uh, but you know, correcting to slow it down to that target. So anyway, um, very well defined parameters, and I think all airlines have those parameters. Uh, they may be a little bit different here and there from one airline to another, but it's not unusual that you'll see somebody uh, like I was in Orlando and we were crossing a runway or getting or holding short of a runway, and then noticed that. Uh, the um, airplane behind us on the uh, on the other runway uh, was was going around and the tower said you know uh, th- I think they have to log these things that's why they, they do ask. They,
5: they ask if it's a towered airport they'll ask you what the reason was but it's not for any purpose other than to just right. have a record of it
3: It's not a punitive thing it's just no, they no, have not to have a
5: record all. of it
7: and I'm and, and I may have misspoke yeah uh, and I said it probably the wrong way most airline pilots, over their career don't go around all that much. Um, however, airliners do go around on a fairly regular basis. It's just mm-hmm. um I, I think I misspoke it, to make it sound like well air, airliners don't go, you know, around yeah. that
3: much. I think I, I think everybody understood what you were saying. Um, it's not something that's common. It's not like every trip you're gonna go around like once on a trip or something like that. It's maybe once every year or two. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> And I'd and be interested to hear, Nick, I mean, you, you, you have one leg a
7: day, um, that you fly yeah, and half a dozen
6: or so, I guess. But, uh, yeah, we, we'd make, uh, many fewer approaches. Is that the right word, Jeff? Fewer. Yes. Fewer. Yes. Thank yes. you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the most common cause for me, uh, has been air traffic getting us too close to the guy ahead, uh, or the rum aircraft landing in front doesn't clear in time. Um, uh, You think about it, we almost exclusively do instrument approaches uh, in my sort of uh, world. So it's usually much easier to be stabilized. So, unless uh, air traffic have left you uh, uncomfortably above the glide slope before they release you to make your approach, or they've given you an unrealistic speed constraint, uh, which has left you unstabilized, it's pretty rare. Uh, But I've uh, my first command course uh, trip with a training captain he uh <laughs> he went around from a bounce which was quite interesting uh so we did a we landed bounced and went around and he got completely discombobulated so actually i was sitting there because i had not quite as much as to do and it had been a, a bit of, he was flying it, so it had been a, uh, a bit of a shock to him. Um, we, uh, we we kind of did it together. Yeah, <laughs> let me help you out here.
3: Yeah, if you team, see team Power up, uh, Yeah,
6: it was very much a team effort because I was just sitting there going, I think we should probably lift the gear now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah I was wondering why it was about, so noisy. <laughs> how about some flaps? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Good idea. You carry on. <laughs> <laughs> excellent ideas, excellent. Yeah, yeah this is yeah, a training
7: ideas. <clears throat> And yeah, uh, we. Uh, huh? uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry.
6: No, I was just going to say, and the, my most uh, dramatic one for me was uh, on one of my final command of check rides. I, uh, doing my very first landing into Los Angeles on the Santa Monica arrival, which takes you downwind, and I'd never, never flown it before, never landed at L.A., and uh, I had a first officer beside me who I was having to translate all the um, RT for him because he didn't understand the American accent. So, And then as uh, we, we, I was expecting to go a reasonable distance downwind before being bought in to 2-4 left. And about half that distance down, uh, she turned me right 90 degrees and changed the runway on me. Uh, So I was now expecting to do a localizer on a 2.4 right. uh, And I was way high, and it all just got uh, too much. We just couldn't configure the aircraft, slow it down fast enough, get the new ILS frequency in, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it just turned into a shambles, and I went around. Said, yeah, forget Uh, it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nope,
5: it it will be better on the second attempt. Mm
6: -hmm. Exactly, and it was. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I had to refly the trip, but there you go. That's, That's life. If when you're an nylon pilot,
7: yeah, yeah, and and I and I was going to comment on on you, Nick, and and that is is that you know how we when you go around, we do it so infrequently, we become, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, what do we do next? What do we do next? We have now have a policy, at ACME that we are supposed to brief that, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. I'm trying to remember whether it's once every trip, yeah, or if it's once. I think it's once every trip. It's what we're supposed right. to do that. Mm-hmm. So we we brief that continuously.
6: Yeah, I like that. And in fact, uh, if ever I saw a situation where it looked like uh, we were going to end up being sent around, the guy yeah. ahead was being slow off the runway, I would always give a mini brief. Uh, we might go around. If we do, it is, and I would just shout out the instructions uh, just so he would uh, be. We both be in the mind of, of how it was all going to occur. Because I don't know about you guys, but in the Airbus. There are three very distinct uh, types of go around, depending on the altitude at which you fly it. Uh, and the, they, particularly the ones down at low, close to the runway, are the ones we always practice. The other two you very, very rarely do, and they are flown in such a different manner that it can be quite confusing. You can get yourself tied right.
3: into a knot. Can't use the same procedure for all no, three. No, you can't know, use the so same techniques.
8: A like or you can, but you probably shouldn't. You know, a thousand feet. <laughs> the
3: passenger going, oh, we're going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> a, a,
7: a, a good technique is always to advance the power and pull the nose up. But, you know, if you pull the nose up, advancing the power, then the houses get bigger again. So that's not an advisable. Technique. Yeah.
3: But, you know, there's some, you know, like exactly sometimes right. you might have to just like wave off the approach and not really mm-hmm. do a go around and put in toga power and put the pitch up to 20 degrees <laughs> high or something here and we it, go you know it was <laughs> like yeah, it really was like this, this level yeah. off folks you paid yeah. for a
6: ride we're gonna give
7: you a ride <laughs> right. here you go uh
6: um, and of course some go-arounds you'll continue descending because there you're above the Mr. approach altitude and you need to fly down to it before mm. you can mm-hmm. level off and then go around in inverted commas from that altitude so huh?
3: I guess. In, yeah, well, that's
5: we talked about this. I don't know if you. Were, yeah, uh, going into uh, LA, Frans- for example, or LA or San Francisco or something, yeah. something in California. Yeah. yeah, there's a
3: restriction. You at got to be out or below a certain altitude.
6: Foot, uh, missed approach altitude. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're sent around from above that, you have to continue descending and level at the missed approach altitude, because otherwise, oh, yeah. you'll go straight through a visual flight corridor, yeah. and all the little Piper's and Cessnas will get very upset.
3: But the point yeah. about you know, <laughs> you, so you, you, sometimes we can you know sense that something is not going quite the way it should be ahead of us. And that's when uh, people that have good airmanship will start saying, okay, in, in case we have to go around here, let's kind of go over this. You know, yep, toga so. power, blah, 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 you know, Yeah, I always procedures. like that
6: because it shows you're thinking well ahead of the airplane. Right. I like mm-hmm.
3: pilots who do that. Yeah.
7: I, um, <clears throat> yes, I, I, and I did misspeak earlier. I said all my go-arounds have been because of uh, aircraft on the runway. Uh, I did have one go-around which was uh, a wind shear event, uh, not low to the ground, but in Denver, which is a common, quite common occurrence, especially the winds coming uh, pretty strong over the top of the Rockies and into the valley, uh, we did have a wind shear. So I did have one go
3: around, which was a wind shear event. Yeah, I had one in the 727 that was a wind shear, and it was a doozy. It was a doozy. Now we I have swan- one, more, one more question from him. Yes, we do. He says, uh, have you ever found a safety of flight issue that grounded the plane on a pre-flight walk around?
7: Yes.
5: Yep.
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're not doing your job if you've never found something. Right. That's, grounded well, that's usually why we do the walk around. Yeah, <laughs> Make sure that it's airworthy. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of, you know, when you're walking around, it's missing an engine. That's kind of a dead giveaway. Yeah. Sometimes you miss that one. Yeah. That one's a tough one. Or the wings gone or something. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Not, the same thing. I can't ne- say
6: I have, no. Oh really? Okay. Uh, oh, really? No, my airplanes were always beautifully maintained and uh, well looked after. And uh, I used to go around with my dark glasses on, like
3: Steph, so I couldn't see anything anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, walking. If, you, if you don't, if <laughs> you don't see anything, yeah. You're that guy that guy was talking about on the last and episode. April Fool's or, Day yeah, yeah, I was <laughs> like, it didn't look yeah. like he was really doing anything, Laurie, no, 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 looking I, in I, the right, air. I was just posing with my dark <laughs> glasses on. <Yeah>. Doing selfies. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you
5: what, there's frequently things wrong with, G- with uh, general aviation aircraft and best to get it checked out by maintenance before you take it flying. So yeah. I found oil running down the side of the engine cowling, but on the opposite side of where the oil uh, dipstick is and fill. Uh, that's <laughs> so no I'm good. not sure where that was coming from. Um, <laughs> and also a flap track, like where the flaps run along. That was just all bent out of shape for some reason. Like someone hmm. overspeed the flaps.
3: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
5: Did not fly on those days. Good for you. Yeah.
3: All right. Uh, thank you, Omaha Todd. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to get back together again some other time. Uh, and just a reminder to folks, um, at least a um, couple of us that have schedules that we know about uh, in the future, uh, we try to remember to put them on the, uh, APG community, um, calendar. And, uh, if you, uh, will look at the calendar, you can see my trips and where I'm going to be and that kind of thing. And if you think that there might be an opportunity to, uh, do some sort of a meetup, just contact me and we'll see if we can come up with something. Same with,
7: same with me. I put my schedule up there as well. And, uh, I will be in Omaha later on in September. So there sounds like a me. meetup
3: to me. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, Item two from Ramiro. Hello, APG crew. No coal shoveling jokes this time from me. Thank you. Uh, But I do get a smirk on my face every time someone mentions the mad dog running on coal on the podcast. Yeah, we do, too. (laughs) When you guys read my email on the show, uh, when you guys read my email on the show, I rewound it and played it for my wife. But she was less impressed about my email making on the show than I was. She just doesn't get how big a deal it was. <laughs> they don't get a lot of You've things. Been, you really made Spouses. It.
5: We've, <laughs> yeah. we've played your email.
3: <laughs> uh, let's see. I have two topics for you guys today, but I will try to be brief. First, I have to start out by calling out Dr. Steph. I listened to her talk about visiting 11 states over three days in order to beat her dad to all 50. I, too, am keeping track of the states I've visited, but i don't count a state if I only connect through the airport. For example, I've made many connections through both uh, O'Hare and Midway in Chicago, but I still don't count Illinois as a state. I've been in, oh, I don't count Illinois as a state I've been in. It sounded like you counted a few connections. Okay. I know these contests are subjective and you can set your own rules. So congratulations for getting to all 50 states. So he kind of called you out a little bit, but then he kind of backtracked a little bit, I
5: guess. I wrote back to him. I said, you know, yeah, we, we had set the ground rules for the contest in advance. And I certainly understand um, my, I have a aunt who did not understand why we would ever consider counting that as having visited a state. But I will say that in all cases, I did actually leave the airport.
11: So
5: there you go. Even More though I was than- just there for a connection, I left security outside, got fresh air, sunshine in all cases.
3: And went to museums. And-
5: I went to museums, I drove across other state lines, mm-hmm. sometimes I was just outside long enough to walk off the airport property and then walk back to the airport and get on the next flight, but in all cases I was actually standing outside of the airport in the state I was supposed to be in.
3: Anyway, I think we just got a ruling I'm from the judges. The judges say... Yes, I'll, those oh, all okay, counted.
5: Okay,
8: good. Yeah, for a close.
5: But um, <laughs> no, I had, my, my aunt I was referencing said that she wouldn't count a state unless they actually went to do some sort of event or activity in the state. So she has driven across multiple states like Nebraska, Wyoming, but never stopped other than to use like a rest area. Doesn't count it as have, having visited it. It's like, but you saw the entire state driving across it. That counts to me. I don't know. I don't, I would not count connecting at a foreign airport if I don't leave the airport and actually cross the, you know, through immigrations and customs and be admitted into the country. Right. So geographically you stood there and saw things, but have you been in the country? Have you visited? Not really. So I'm with you, Ramiro. Well, Ramiro
3: says he's really jealous of your dad because he got to go to Hawaii and you went to Maine. (laughs) No offense to Maine man. Micah (laughs) just love Hawaii. (laughs) Yeah, well, they don't serve Maine lobsters.
5: No, yeah. yeah. Actually, I do for the food in Maine to the food in Hawaii, I will say. Um, But I'm jealous a little bit, too, because my dad got to take a uh, helicopter tour of Oahu, which was really awesome looking. Oahu? Oahu?
3: Oahu. 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 No, just, I was trying to make a little joke I guess I I'm going to have to do another correction I in the next show thought
5: Maybe I could have match your intonation there And I kind of failed at that And then I thought I would have a joke for it and I didn't So yeah, well, just, We try uh, here,
3: we do try. try But there there are hundreds of comedians Out of work and we should be respecting More respectful of them <laughs> um, Okay, by the way There's an iPhone app called States That you can use to track the states you visit I'm only at 18, so I have a long way to go Only 18 almost embarrassing really i shouldn't have even brought it up <laughs> you know ramiro when you send an email you can actually go back and like delete all that yeah oh well but
5: you got to start somewhere yeah that's true i mean 18 that's better than
3: yeah 17 you know, there's probably 16. a very embarrassing number of people in our population in the united states that have not even left their own towns there's it's very true hmm a, scaring, a scary amount of people <laughs> never left the state. Anyway, uh, new topic. On episode 388, you guys talked about the Delta 757 that experienced a hard landing in Punta Delgada, which means the skinny end, by the way. Oh, uh, I was born in the Azores Islands on the island of Terceira. Ding. Close enough. Thank you. And I left when I was five years old, but I still have family there to this day. Captain Jeff probably landed there at Lodges a few times. Yep. In the Air Force days, flying the C-141. The airport on Terceira is also uh, a U.S. Air Force base. Oh, so I guess I have been there. Um, Have you, Jeff, or any of the APG crew ever spent any time on the island of Terciera? I'm confused. Is that where Lodges is? If Lodges is on that island, yes. Um, if not, no, I haven't been back there in 30 plus years. I bring it up because although I'm an American citizen, I grew up in the U S it's nice to hear the Azores get a mention. Uh, most people couldn't find my birthplace on a map or even aware those islands exist. That's true. That's true. It's, true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, thanks so much for the podcast. It feeds my aviation passion like it needed more fueling. Ha! Huh. Uh, blue sky, tailwinds, and plenty of coal. <laughs> Wait a minute! I know I said uh, no coal jokes this time, but I just couldn't help myself. I'm weak. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's an illness. It's okay. The, the rest of us suffer from it too, except for me. Jeff, and shame on you. <laughs> but Nick and I certainly will will join you in
6: those references. Uh-huh. Absolutely mm-hmm. not funny.
7: Hey, yet. you know, if you chew on gold, uh, coal, gold. If you chew on coal, and you, make a diamond. You can make a diamond.
6: <laughs>
3: It's right. a lot of pressure, it's a diamond in the rough, <laughs> and a lot of heat.
4: Yes.
3: Um, speaking of Punta delgada, the the what do you say, the skinny end, skinny point, skinny point. Uh, let's see. This uh, sent in by Christian and Larry. Uh, links to articles regarding the fact that uh, Delta, I guess, uh, rented or leased uh, an Antonov. 124, I saw it, by the way, in Atlanta um, on one of my trips. Um, it was just in Charlotte, too, or whatever to, it was. Oh, cool. Anyway, uh, flies to Ponta Delgada to save Delta's stranded Boeing 757. So the article talks about the fact that it, I guess, it brought a, some stuff, uh, some equipment that will help. Some
6: speed tape, lots
3: and <laughs> yeah, lots of speed of tape. tape. <laughs> and, and like uh, those scissors, those snips. <laughs> like, uh, what do they call those? Yep. Tin snips. Yep. Um, and who knows what else, uh, but, you know, cause we, we kind of surmised or, or pondered whether or not the uh, airplane was damaged so much that you, you wouldn't be able to salvage it or fly it again. Now it could be that they're just doing whatever's necessary to get the thing in airworthy ish condition <laughs> yes. to fly back on a one-time ferry flight back to Atlanta Yep. and then after that, or yep. to somewhere out in the desert. And then after that, it's gone. Um, that would not surprise me if that's the deal, or it wouldn't surprise me if maybe the damage was limited, um, and didn't do enough significant damage to completely destroy the airplane. I don't know, but, uh,
6: yeah, I I agree. We, we all reckoned it was looking too nasty to, uh, mm-hmm. be airworthy, but, uh, you're right. Uh, I do remember a story of, uh, something similar when, uh, uh one of my old man's, uh, uh VC 10s. He wasn't flying it, I don't think, but uh, it went through such severe clear air turbulence going over the Andes in South uh, America that it uh, broke the airplane. And they decided to fly it home um, with no passengers, just a volunteer crew. Uh, And uh, when they got it back, uh, the engineers at Gatwick looked at it and they worked out that the wingtips were like 18 inches closer to the ground than they should be. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, the Oops. entire the entire spar of the aircraft had been bent. Um, the you know the box spar uh, for the wing. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it never flew again. They uh, took it to pieces and used it for yeah. spares.
7: One has to wonder who would volunteer to fly that airplane.
6: It was well, a guy called no. Flash Phillips. As you can imagine from his name, that uh, he he was uh, a bit of a joyrider.
3: It wasn't crazy, yeah. Larry no Fire,
5: fireball oh my gosh what was the <laughs> car guy's name <laughs> i don't know <laughs> something or other there's, yeah
3: See um, now with my luck the wings would have fallen off <laughs> <laughs> so we had a another i mean we um i heard fireball well,
5: roberts i think
3: it fi- was. fireball roberts yeah, there was NASCAR some guys, company that uh, had a hard landing here at greenville spartanburg um or maybe it was greensboro somewhere with green in it Maybe it was
5: one of those places and
3: it could have been Raleigh, Durham, actually.
5: So somewhere in the Carolinas,
3: (laughs) somewhere in the Carolinas that really pranged it on and and broke the uh, (laughs) broke the airplane. And uh, they did one flight after that, a special one time permit from that, wherever that airport was to someplace out in the desert. That was that was all she wrote on that one. Yeah. So happens. Yeah. Uh, then I probably should... Uh, wait, what do you think? It's getting close to the time where we
5: right do a, um,
3: yeah. a plane tail. Right okay, this one's... Um, it's not uplifting, I can tell you that. But it is very well done, uh, Captain Nick and... I'm uh, Excuse me, old pilot. And uh, I think that uh, everybody will en- uh, enjoy listening to this. Um, so, without further ado, this week's installment of... The Old Pilots' Plane Tales
6: The Old Pilots' Plane Tales Ramstein Flugtag, 1988 A Word of Caution Descriptions in this story are vivid and may not be suitable for a younger audience. A little over 31 years ago, it was a hot and sunny day at the United States Air Force Base at Ramstein, near Kaiserslautern in West Germany. A perfect day for their annual air show. People from all over Europe attended, but the majority of those enjoying the spectacle were Germans, many from the local area. It was estimated that about 300,000 people were wandering around the exhibits from air forces all over the world and lined up along the crowd line, watching the displays for which the Ramstein Air Show was famous. In a time when Germany was still divided, some 43 years after the end of the war, with NATO forces in the west and Soviets in the east, It was a moment when Americans and West Germans could come closer together, giving everyone a taste of burgers, fries and American ice cream. The display that year included many flypasts of NATO aircraft and display teams, such as the Assas de Portugal and the Patrouille de France, but the best and most impressive display was bought on last as a suitable end to a wonderful day's flying the Italian aerobatic display team, the Frecchi Trucolori. The Italian Air Force team was formed in 1961 and by 1988 they were flying the m MB339 advanced jet trainer. The Italian team were famed for some of the most daring formation manoeuvres on the display circuit and they were keenly awaited. In the crowd were families, aviation enthusiasts, politicians and military personnel from all over, but many were just there to enjoy an inexpensive day out in the sun. A visitor from Holland said, At that time, plane spotting was still a really exciting thing. In the midst of the Cold War, many countries completely forbade the photography of aircraft. Here in Ranstein, however, you could do it officially during the air show and see aircraft close by, which you could otherwise hardly ever see. We were with around two hundred spotters who had travelled to Germany specifically for this event. At twenty to four in the afternoon the ten aircraft of the Frecki Trucolori lifted off to start their show. It went well with the crowd enjoying the spectacle and each manoeuvre getting oohs and ahs from the audience, particularly the most densely packed area at the centre of the display line, where the biggest crowd was. After several minutes of what was a great performance, the team started one of the most impressive parts of their display, the pierced heart.
9: The section down will draw in the sky the shape of our heart that shows our love for all of you. The love that we felt
6: The item started with the whole team running in towards the centre of the crowd in a single formation. As they approached the crowd line, they pulled up into the vertical with their smoke on. Five aircraft split from the formation and performed a quarter turn away, completing a loop but now parallel to the crowd line. The other half of the formation, four aircraft, performed a mirror image of the same manoeuvre, and the number 10 aircraft, now a singleton, continued to loop away from the crowd. The team had now split into three separate entities. The 5 ship and the 4 ship had pulled up, turned away from each other, and were now looping down and coming at each other head-on, aiming to cross at crowd-centre with their smoke trails leaving the distinct outline of a heart, which would be completed as they crossed at the bottom. It was the singletons' job to finish the gesture by piercing the heart with an arrow made of smoke. To do this, Lieutenant-Colonel Ivo Natarelli had to complete his loop, the first half of which was away from the crowd by pulling through towards the crowd, and then pulling up to fly through the iconic shape made by his colleagues in front of him. It was a spectacular visual display, and Nuttarelli had performed it hundreds of times before without mishap. With over 4,000 hours of military flying behind him, Nuttarelli was an experienced and capable pilot, but this day he made a small but tragic error. Perhaps in his mind he was remembering what had occurred during the dress rehearsal that he flew the previous day. During his loop he had inadvertently flown into cloud and delayed his pull-through, resulting in a late arrival to pierce the heart about seven to eight seconds after the main formation, instead of the planned three to five seconds. There was little doubt that he was attempting to adjust his speed to get the correct separation by pulling the power back and putting out his air brakes as he completed his loop. Latorelli bottomed out of his pull-through at barely 100 feet from the ground and about 600 feet from the crossing formations in front of him, way too close. He tried to pull his aircraft up and over them, but there was no room left, and although he started to climb, it was too late. Many in the crowd gasped as they had already realised what was unfolding. His death was filmed by dozens of cameras amongst the onlookers in front of him as he struck the fuselage of Pony One, the leader of the team. The front of Nattarelli's aircraft disintegrated in a shower of debris and he was killed instantly in the collision. Pony One's air maki crippled by the massive impact, spiralled out of control to the left, striking his number two before the pilot abandoned the aircraft. Sadly, too low for a successful ejection, and he died when he hit the runway before his parachute had deployed. Pony 2 crashed beside the runway, and the pilot also died in the huge fireball. Within a split second, the team had lost three pilots, but this was only the start of the tragedy. By arranging this crossing manoeuvre to occur in front of the audience, with Nutterelli's aircraft aimed towards crowd centre, the unthinkable was about to happen. The remains of Pony 10 would continue on a ballistic trajectory across the runway, completely out of control and in flames, on a path that would carry it into hundreds of innocent watchers, who up to that moment had been enjoying a marvellous day out. The wreckage hit the ground just in front of the spectator stands, exploding in a fireball and destroying a police car parked beside the fence that defined the active runway area. The plane continued cartwheeling for a distance before picking up a barbed wire fence and crossing a road, then slamming into the crowd and a parked ice cream van. A huge fireball of burning aviation fuel spread across hundreds of people there and billowed high into the sky. The barbed wire fence, dragged by the wreckage into those at the front of the crowd, had already killed many, but jagged pieces of debris from the aircraft were thrown indiscriminately into the host of onlookers like shrapnel and would kill more. The fire, however, would cause the most casualties. In the words of a survivor, after the impact and the explosions there was dead silence for a few seconds. Everyone stared at the Inferno, no one moved. Only then panic broke out. People screamed and ran away in all directions. My friends and I started to run as well. After a few meters I realized that running away actually didn't help as everything was already over, so I stopped and tried to orientate myself. In front of me a huge black cloud of smoke rose into the sky and there was an extreme smell of burned flesh in the air. Even after many months I noticed this smell in my nose and I cannot forget it. I walked past charred people as if being in a trance. Many had burns all over the body and screamed while others were silently sitting on the ground staring straight ahead. Another recalled, an unimaginable heat seized me and I thought I was going to die now. In front of me a wing or at least a large part of it passed by and shaved everything down. A man was thrown away like being fired from a catapult. Others disappeared in a wall of fire. An incredible pressure pushed glowing hot air into my lungs and then suddenly there was no air left to breathe anymore. I looked down to see if I was also terribly burned or lacerated. I was not. Now for the first time I consciously became aware of the stench in the air. It was a mixture of burned meat, kerosene, fresh blood and metal, unforgettable. Terrible screams came from all over. I saw people wandering around who were charred black or snow white as if powdered with ashes. Everywhere there were people or ripped off body parts lying around. The shapes that were lying on the ground were so melted that I was not even able to tell if it was a man or a woman. A third witness, who was injured when Pranik broke out, remembered, at this moment the aircraft must have impacted. Now I managed to get up and run away from it. I was just able to flee behind a container. I do not know until today how I got there, since at that moment the fireball went over us. The container behind in which I stood saved my life. The heat was indescribable, and I thought that I would burn to death. The heat was so immense that all the oxygen in the air was gone, and I could not breathe. To what was happening behind me, I could only guess, because I knew that the aircraft had crashed into the crowd directly behind me. What I saw when I came from behind the container was indescribable. Everywhere there were burned people. Some ran around and burned. With many of them the skin hung from their body. What happened next depends very much on your point of view and expectations following a disaster of this magnitude where tens of people have been killed and hundreds have been badly injured. It was a major catastrophe. An Austrian reporter has commented at length that amateuristic emergency management cost human lives and that the rescue efforts on the ground could hardly have been more chaotic. He goes on to claim that only a handful of medically trained German forces were on site as they had not expected a disaster of this magnitude and therefore had not compiled a corresponding emergency concept and whilst these helpers were left on their own, the Americans used their long, obsolete Vietnam strategy in the barely existing care of the injured, which consisted of load and go. Specifically, this meant nothing more than putting injured people on trucks, in buses and flatbed trucks, and then moving them as quickly as possible to the nearest hospital, a fatal mistake. In stark contrast, An independent assessment by the RAS Institute of Aviation Medicine tells us that plans were made for the possibility of mass casualties and the base disaster plan had been revised in February of that year. What's more, it had been exercised twice in the six months prior to the accident. It was available in checklist form to a dedicated disaster response team, situated in a mobile command post at the airshow, and to team leaders at each medical location. In addition, full cooperation and support was elicited from both the German Red Cross and the nearby Landstuhl Army Regional Medical Centre. There were a total of 15 doctors and 163 paramedical personnel on duty for Flugtag. All the doctors were on the airfield except for two at the base clinic. A total of 15 ambulances were standing by at the four medical aid stations, and a dedicated UH 60 Black Hawk Kazavak helicopter, part of a disaster response team, was located on the south side of the runway. Unfortunately, it was this Black Hawk that was destroyed and the pilot killed by falling aircraft debris. However, there was an abundance of helicopters at Ramstein. The first was airborne within three minutes of the impact. It was a UH UH-1 Huey, which had been on standby. Two other helicopters were airborne in the next ten minutes. These were soon joined by a Black Hawk from Landstuhl Medical Centre, a Royal Air Force Puma, and German civilian emergency helicopters. By the end of the day, 18 military and civilian helicopters had evacuated hundreds of casualties, many flying several return flights. The survivors were triaged, treated and evacuated from Randstein within 96 minutes. The speed and efficiency of this evacuation was a result of prior planning, thorough training, medical reinforcement Cooperation with other agencies and the availability of an abundance of vehicles for both road and air evacuation. There was undoubtedly a difference in the approach of the German and American medical teams. The German approach was to treat and stabilize the injured at the scene, whereas the American response was to move the casualties as rapidly as possible to one of the many local medical facilities. However, This influx of casualties did cause some problems as some hospitals were overwhelmed, but of the 530 patients who were seen and treated, 363 were admitted to 21 medical facilities in the first hours. Over the next few days, many of these patients were further transported to 46 medical facilities throughout Europe and in the USA. Mention must also be made of the bravery of individual members of the public who, instead of running away from the fire, ran into it to save children, put out the flames on burning people, and helped to comfort strangers who were terribly injured. The final death toll came to 70, and 346 were seriously injured. A sadly high proportion were children who had been moved to the front of the crowd so that they would have a good view of the show. Hundreds more had minor injuries, and the mental scars of those who witnessed the event numbered in thousands. The seven damaged but still airworthy aircraft of the Freki Chukuluri still flying, we grouped and landed on the nearby Air base Sembach. Over the following months the Italian authorities considered disbanding the formation team, but despite the accident being put down to pilot error, they continued to fly. Until 2002, this was the worst airshow disaster in history, and for a while airshows in Germany were banned. Of note, the previous year when the team had displayed in the USA, the FAA did not give authorization for the pierced heart maneuver. I find it tragic that a maneuver designed to show the team's love for their audience should have unwittingly caused such a disaster. In an interview only two months before he would die in the crash, Lieutenant Colonel Natorelli said,
0: "Every day." When I fly, I'm never happy about my job, what I did in the plane. And every day I think I can do better. I think you do something uh, very close to the limits, your limits and plane's limits, but I don't think I I do something dangerous.
3: Wow. Another... uh touching tragedy.
6: Yes, yeah, it's quite a shocking story that. Um, you know, it had almost gone from my memory and partly because uh it's it's one of those awful things that if you ever do see the videos and the pictures that were taken by the many thousands of cameras that were there, um you realize that some of the people who were holding those cameras perish taking the pictures. And, you know, it's a, it's a really heartrending uh, thing to see. So I wouldn't necessarily go and visit the sites that uh, still show those videos unless you have a very strong constitution. It uh, is quite distressing. But, uh, of course, um, a lot of lessons learned. Uh, you know, we're talking... 88, and you know, in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, air shows were still conducted a great deal uh, more with the uh, feeling of just pure excitement and much less consideration of crowd safety. Uh, if the crowd line had been one, perhaps 200 meters further back, there would have been almost no injuries at all. That's how close it was between having a a safe air show and having an absolute disaster. And, of course, afterwards, uh, those type of maneuvers that uh, had an element of risk involved that were oriented towards the crowd were completely stopped. And as you heard, the FAA had already decided that that particular maneuver had too much risk for it to be performed in the United States, and very sensibly. Um, So, you find now that, uh, of course, the pendulum has sung, swung to an extent where um, there are so many restrictions that a lot of airfields can no longer hold traditional air shows because they just don't have that margin of safety available, uh, both on the airfield and in the surrounding area, uh, particularly in the UK after the Shoreham incident. Um, but uh, you know, in the states, still you get some pretty exciting uh, shows and. Oshkosh is one of them. Uh, but uh, we saw a very safe Oshkosh this year, I thought. Uh, it mm-hmm. was very well done.
5: Yeah. Interestingly enough, Liz and I were having this conversation because we just saw the air show in Toronto and we were both at Oshkosh. And, uh, you know, not that the air show in Toronto wasn't excellent, but we kind of felt like we had a little bit of post Oshkosh blues or letdowns still, just because it, things are so close at Oshkosh. There's so much space available. Um, For a a lakefront show, that a lot of the action happens a little bit of ways away from you and it doesn't feel as close or as intimate. So, even though the air show itself was excellent, it feels less personal somehow. But certainly that's done for safety or out of safety concerns, I would think. And for, you know, thinking back to incidents like this.
6: That's exactly right. But I I think there's a happy medium to be um, uh, found. But of course, uh, you know, flying. Jet aircraft around is is it's high risk just by its pure nature, in the same way that motor racing is high risk. Um, uh, you have to weigh that up with the uh, feeling that the spectators should be protected, uh, but yet they should still have uh, something to enjoy. Otherwise, it becomes a meaningless um, event.
3: I would imagine that the design of these. Demonstrations and particular maneuvers uh, were affected by this accident, and like the trajectory of the movement of the aircraft, kind of away from the crowds and not toward them, like as in this particular instance where that solo was coming directly at the crowd.
6: Yeah, I think the the I don't know what the regulations are, but just from watching air shows, I I'm I'm aware that the only time they cross the 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 crowd is usually uh, and, uh, when they arrive sometimes, uh, and it's usually in a very, um, I would say, safe manner, in, in a manner that is very unlikely to uh, have a problem. So a straightforward fly past over the crowd entering. But from then on, you'll see that the maneuvers are always orientated. So if there is a mishap, it's carried away from the crowd, not towards the crowd.
3: Okay. Well. Can't say that that was very uplifting, but uh, it was a well-told uh, story. Now, I,
6: I'm sure the people in Germany uh, w- remember this, of course, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, 31 years ago, and I know there are memorials at Ramstein, some of them not easy to get to because they're on the base, but um, mm-hmm. uh, I think they now have some memorials off base as well. Um, and I know that uh, there is still some bad feeling amongst uh, those who have survived or have lost family members. So there is definitely two sides of the coin on this particular accident. And of course, there um, no there were three entities really organizing this. There was the air base, there was the local German government, and there were the Italian team. And um, although it was down to pilot error, No one entity has taken responsibility really for um, uh, following up, apologizing, and uh, perhaps providing some recompense to the families who were so badly devastated. So that's also created an element of bad feeling. But it's an interesting story. I found it fascinating.
3: Well, let's continue then with uh, item four in the feedback from First Officer Wyatt. He says, well, I recorded a seven minute update for y'all on my iPhone app, which I had to re-download only to see you have a web-based version on your site. Hopefully this will suffice. And yeah, a lot of people, Wyatt, use the recording devices on their smartphones and uh, attach to email as you did. Uh, And then several people use the uh, SpeakPipe app as well. Either works just fine, actually. We don't prefer one over the other. So without further ado, let's hear from Wyatt, and he's going to give us an update on his career. Hey,
11: APG crew. This is the artist formerly known as Helicopter Pilot Wyatt, now First Officer Wyatt. Uh, Last time I talked to you guys uh, about a year and a half ago, I was... Uh, flying helicopters, civilian and military, and uh, looking at making the fixed wing transition, as they call it. Uh, There's a large contingent of of guys coming through that are all doing this, trying to seek out greener pastures in the airplane world. Uh, So I just want to give an update to you guys, and probably um, more for any guys who are thinking about either doing the helicopter transition or uh, you know, just guys who are looking at their CFI, looking at it going into the 121 regional world in general. Uh, so for my Army transition, I got an interview with an airline which shall remain nameless, uh, still work there, uh, but they basically gave me a pretty sizable signing bonus and also $23,000 in addition to my GI bill uh to pay for all my fixed wing time I needed to build I had to build 250 hours in Cessnas and Seminoles uh so all last summer basically 8 hours a day I was flying airplanes it was great a lot of times it was you know learn how to land do your chandelles lazy eights etc but after a while it was just you got to go time build so we just Here's the keys and uh, go find an airport that we've approved and uh, go have fun and and, uh, and get going with your cross country time building. So I flew all over the East Coast from Maine to South Carolina in a Cessna and a little bit further in a Seminole is an absolutely fantastic time. Just you and possibly you know one of your friends from the flight school going out and getting after it. Um, so that lasted until August, so about three months built. 225 hours, so I mean, do the math on that. It's it's like six hours a day, every day of the week, maybe a day off. Uh, so definitely up to the legal limits, but within reason. And after that, my company paid for my ATP-CTP, for you guys who have been out of it for a while, uh, or out of the training pipeline for a while. Uh, They're making us do this course now where you basically go and do crash investigation studies and watch a bunch of PowerPoints and things like that at one of those contractor organizations. It's a requirement for uh, new guys in the 121 world. And then the day after that, they got me into INDOC. Uh, and then after that week of indoctrination, as they call it, the you know, the HR week, uh, they started me in the training pipeline. Uh, and due to the massive influx of guys coming into the regional world, you know, they're hiring a lot of people right now, uh, and a lot of air, uh, <coughs> companies are getting new aircraft, uh, there's a big um, kind of bottleneck for simulators and ground instructors, etc. So. A lot of guys said it was terrible. It was really rough because we had to wait three to four months that whole time just waiting to get our next phase of training, ground or sims, together. So three to four months sitting around. But I was getting paid and I did have non-rev, so uh, yeah, it was pretty terrible going to Montana and London and Mexico and Utah, wherever else I went. I just had all this free time and a good paycheck and basically wherever my fiance would let me go, I was there. It was not so bad. And then we started the uh, the simulators and um, doing our SOE on the line with the, you know an instructor pilot—it's kind of an advanced CFI, if you will. Uh, the transition was a little challenging for for me. I wouldn't say it was all that difficult. I'm, I'm still definitely learning it all, and now that I'm off SOE, uh, but. You know, if you keep your head down and study and memorize and truly understand, you know, and be able to correlate all those flows and and regulations together, it's really not that hard. One thing I really like about the 121 world is there's a lot of scripts and there's a lot of standardized policies. So once you get those standardized policies, there is a lot less room for you to um make the wrong inferences or or do the wrong thing cuz you know what the baseline correct answer is and then you know you just use those baseline correct answers to make a better decision. So, you know, in the helicopter world it's just go out and you're the PIC and we'll see you in 3 hours, be smart. But here there's a lot more um regulations which which I actually do like. It just it keeps everybody safer and flying with one captain the next, it's all generally the same, which is safer and less stressful, I believe. One thing I would suggest to any new guys coming into the regional world, especially, just go live in base. You know, you're going to live there for two, three years. There's a lot of regional trips that start at 5 a.m. on day one. So for you to commute in from, you know, Phoenix to the East Coast or vice versa, uh, you know, you're leaving the day prior at one in the afternoon or something. So you've lost a day, and at companies where you only get 11, 12, 13 days off. Adding a day on to both of your four or on both sides of that four day trip, you really have no time off. But being in base, I'm able to pick up extra flying triple premiums, my company calls it. And the lines I can bid whatever lines I want because I'll just drive in and show up, and I don't need to worry about what lines are commutable and what lines are not. It's been really nice. Uh, Just a few uh, ups and downs of life as an FO. Now, there's a lot of really short flights, which is good and bad. Uh, You know, you do a lot more work on the ground you know, maybe not getting paid, sometimes getting paid, depending on what phase of flight you're in, Uh, but you do get a lot of repetitions. I mean, my first three days on SOE, I had 15 legs, five days, or five legs a day. So that's 15 takeoffs and landings, 15 uh, chances to set up your FMS, 15 times to go through all your flows and call-outs. It's good and bad, it's a lot of work, but you get a lot of practice. you also into a lot of small airports, you know small overnights, so right now I'm in Watertown New York um the entire- entire terminal is one gate uh so it's kind of cool to go to these little places you're probably not going to get to see you know outside of the regional flying world once you're flying seven eighty sevens can't quite fit that on normally two way into watertown that's like five thousand feet long um so it's good to visit these places it's good to see these small runways see how they do it out and kind of in the outer reaches of the faa environment and the runways are shorter too so you have to be a little bit smarter with you know what runway you want to pick uh you know working with ctaf and everything else there's a little bit more uh, room to maneuver as far as the pic is concerned uh the downside i'll say is the efficient inefficient trips um, you know today flying into watertown i got in at 10 a.m and i've been off the whole day uh, So, you know, for anybody who likes to go out and go to a restaurant or go see a museum, it's great. get to all all these little towns. But if you want to fly and build time, flying an hour and a half some days is not optimal for you to build up that time to get to your 121 minimums for captain. And lastly is the money. Um, It has been pretty good, I'd say. Um, Talking to the old guys, they all... um, They were all making 15, 20K a year, and I am making significantly more than that. I'm not making six figures, but it's good. I'm comfortable. So thank you to all those guys who came before me, who pushed for that, uh, because we've been able to enjoy a much uh, more comfortable lifestyle. Well, that's all I have. Uh, Rather than your normal send-off with your blue skies and tailwinds, I'm gonna wish you guys three different uh, prayers of pilots. I wish you commuter-friendly trips, unlimited overtime flying and hotels with free breakfast signing off first officer Wyatt. See ya.
3: Excellent. Uh, thank you. First officer Wyatt for the update. It's good to hear you're making great progress out there and great advice, by the way, uh, to those who are following you in those, uh, your footsteps, footsteps, footsteps. Did I say it right the third time?
5: I think you said it right the first time. Oh, okay.
3: Second time, sound actually. right.
5: <laughs> Second time, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Sounded fine. Yeah. We knew what you meant.
3: Okay. Thank you.
5: Mm, free breakfast.
3: Mm. Mm. Gotta love that. <laughs> Why well, right. wouldn't you? So, um, any other comments to make or shall we move on? No. no. Great no. job. Lots, no. of, yeah. lots right of good points. Very thorough.
5: Good common sense approach to getting your first airline or getting started in your first airline job, I should say. Right.
3: I guess, you know, it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Chad, uh, Dana, uh, same kind of deal where yeah. the company that he got yeah. on, they oh. said basically here are the keys to the airplane and go and fly it, you know, and build up your time. Um, you know, same sort of thing where they, where they really help are very helpful in providing an opportunity for you, for you to build up that time very, very quickly. So you can get on with a one twenty one carrier.
7: Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, very fortunate he was able to do that. I mean, that's a, a, a great having you, and, and uh, congratulations to you on that on that, uh, that F.O. Wyatt. And, uh,
3: many, many happy landings and happy years ahead of you. All right. Um, number five. Uh, would somebody like to uh, read this one? I'll do it if you'd like. Okay. From Pete?
7: Yep, yeah, from Pete. Interesting story, Hope. You all like it, All right. as they say in the South, y'all. Uh, a boy with a boy with autism would wouldn't sit still on a United Airlines flight, so the crew and passengers stepped up in to help. Let's move my big, make my screen a little bigger here. All right, uh, Brayson is a four year old autistic boy who usually loves to fly, but he had a meltdown on a United Airlines flight from San Diego to Houston. That was when the aircraft's crew and passengers came together to help him. The boy's mother, Laurie Laurie Gabriel of Cypress, Texas, told CNN that Brayson removed his seatbelt just before takeoff, saying he wanted to sit on the floor. It was impossible to restrain him. He was fighting both me and his father. It took both of us to try to get him back to his chair and get his seatbelt back on. He started kicking, screaming, and hitting, said Gabriel. That's when the flight attendant came over and told us the flight couldn't take off until he is seated. I told her the boy was boy has autism. We were trying to give him give us a minute. The flight attendant walked away while Gabriel still trying to keep the boy on his seat. She came back with two other flight attendants who asked the mother how they could be of help. Then they sprang into action, Gabriel added. First they let Brayson sit on her lap before takeoff while the father was holding him. Then, after the seatbelt sign was turned off, his mother let the boy down because he was screaming and fighting her. So, the crew let him sit on the floor next to them. When he's overstimulated, the vibration makes him feel better, Gabriel said. At one point, the boy inadvertently kicked a passenger sitting across from them, a United flight attendant who was not working during the flight. She said, uh, she was, excuse me, she was just being nice and said it was okay if he kicks her feet, Gabriel said. Then the boy went to first class and started kicking a man's seat, messing with it. Brayson seemed happy to, happy there. <laughs> of course he did. Why wouldn't he be happy in first class, right? So Brayson seemed happy there, so we didn't want to move him. The woman said, so I told the man, I'm sorry, but he had, didn't mind. He introduced himself to Brayson and gave him high fives. He said, he can kick my chair. I don't care. Well, that actually rhymes. Everybody in first class was kind to him, asking his name, showing him pictures on their phones, letting him sit wherever he wanted. Gabriel said the flight attendant kept asking if we need anything, making sure everybody was taken care of. Just before leaving, the off-duty flight attendant, who was sitting across from them, gave Gabriel a hug and a handwritten note in which she said, uh, "Which, in which she commended her for her strength. You and your family are loved and supported." Reads the note. Don't ever let anyone make you feel as though you are an inconvenience or a burden. He is a blessing. The note goes on God bless your patience, your love, your support, your strength, and continue to be a super woman. Gabriel posted a picture of the note on Facebook along with pictures of Brayson on the flight and a shout out to United. United Airlines tweeted in response. It sure sounds like Brayson and your family had a great flight. We are happy that our crew is able to make it an enjoyable experience. We are overjoyed to see that we have such loving and supportive passengers on board as well. We look forward to seeing Brayson again
3: soon. And we are suspending the captain and the crew for letting a four-year-old sit in the lap. (laughs) No, they didn't say that. Go no, ahead. I'm not. so. <laughs> That's a nice Operational add-on. Operational right
5: irregularities. Yeah. 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 The
7: flight tents have been fired. No. <laughs> uh, Gabrielle said her son usually loves to fly, but the flight earlier this month was his first long flight. The family was traveling back home from San Diego, where they've been on holiday. I'm just overwhelmed from all the kindness. It makes me want to cry, she said. For the first time, people have been very understanding and helpful about Raisin's autism. It's very promising I'm getting goosies. I'm sorry. Uh, it's very promising. We don't have to care about what other people think because there are people who are caring, who understand, and it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Wow. I've got goosebumps.
3: What can you say after that? A nice, Amazing. uplifting story Feels for a change. Good story. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Dana, for reading that. And thank you, Pete, for uh, sending that in and sharing the story with us. Uh, let's see, six. Uh, Captain Nick, would you like to read this one? Uh, by all means. Uh, it's, it's it's C-A-P, a, Chris, Civil Air Patrol.
6: Ah, okay. Civil Air Patrol, Chris. Mm, excellent. Uh, he says, uh, hello, Captain Jeff and crew. I'm a long time listener and fly with the Civil Air Patrol in the Atlanta area. I have two quick questions. Oh, that's great. Uh, quick ones we love. <laughs> one is. I was recently listening to live ATC on a beautiful VFR day and they were directing planes in using the localizer approach. I was just curious as to why they were using a localizer approach and not visuals in VFR. Perhaps you guys being Atlanta based with Acme can answer that one.
7: Well oh, that's uh, quite the uh, the Real reason for that is they bring you in on the localized and then they'll clear you for the visual approach. That is, once you have um, uh, traffic in front of you in sight and or the airport in sight. So, you know, it may be visual conditions out there, but it could be hazy. Um, So that's quite a common practice. Uh, And and they use it a lot, especially when they're running parallel, you know, visual approaches just to keep guys uh,
3: on the center line of the runway. Yeah, truth is, yeah. I mean, that's standard operating procedure. Go ahead, Nick.
6: No, I was just going to say, with all those uh, parallel runways, you're very close to people. You've got to be accurately lined up. And of course, it prevents you from misidentifying a runway and
3: landing on the wrong one. And in practice, yeah. every everywhere we go, if they have an underlying approach, we put the underlying approach in. and they, So even if it's clear in a million, you're still going to be dialing up the ILS frequency, tracking the localizer. Uh, tracking the glide slope all the way to the runway even if you're technically on a visual approach accepting responsibility for spacing and everything else you are not going to just turn everything off and just look outside and refer only to the runway we're we're always required to have an underlying approach in our navigational aids unless there is none
7: it's such an idiotism jeff but i think we're the only airplane left that actually dials in (laughs) (laughs) the local. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's true we probably are
5: after you shovel the coal you have to dial yeah. the, the knobs
3: and you know the bad thing about that all to keep the power you going and, if you, you the forget file. to take the a, if you don't take the gloves off <laughs> then you get the coal all over the knobs it's really there's just a big mess yeah does it give us black as black lung
7: too
6: do we qualify for black lung disease too? definitely some sort of
5: workers compensation definitely
6: so, the second one was uh, my second question to do with air sickness. So, this sounds like for one for Dr. Mm-hmm. Steph. I've been a private pilot for seven years and fly regularly, fairly regularly. And recently, during a biannual flight
3: review, um, I suddenly became sick and started vomiting. You don't need to get sick while you're reading this. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's transferring That's overly dramatic, I think.
6: Yes. I uh, started <laughs> vomiting, which led to the flight being terminated by the instructor. It came on suddenly after several steep turns, and I've never been air sick before. Maybe Doctor Steph can help me to understand why it happened so suddenly, and if this is common, etc. Thank you for the great podcast, clear skies, and windy tales, Chris.
5: Windy tales, interesting. Um, so Chris,
6: I, there's. I said. That. I know. I know.
5: Chris, there's uh, probably a couple explanations. I think the most likely for what happened, especially if you've not been uh, airsick before, um, if you were the one flying the aircraft and you know just going through things that you maneuvers you would do, um, either on a regular or semi regular basis or for practice, um, in your within your inner ear there are these um, things called semicircular canals. And what happens is, is that they're filled with fluid and little tiny hairs, but also these little tiny stones called otoliths. And it's not uncommon that one of those otoliths can actually not move as freely as it's supposed to. What the semicircular canals are meant to do um, are to provide you with um, proprioception, basically. So as you're moving in different planes of motion, they're oriented either vertically, horizontally, or kind of in an oblique plane, so that when you move and twist your head, you get feedback from that and your body knows what you're trying to do and it doesn't conflict with the visual input that you're getting. Um, But if one of those uh, semicircular canals is blocked or the the otolith doesn't move the way that it's supposed to um, within there, then you can get that conflicting information going into your brain from your inner ear and also from what your eyes are taking in and that can make you feel very ill um, even without being actually sick. And I suspect that might be what happened to you here. It's at least one explanation. There's some other ones. Sometimes if you're, you know, uh, not feeling ill per se, but starting to suffer some of the early effects of either an upper respiratory illness or another type of or a stomach illness, GI illness, if you were dehydrated um, and it's slept well tough. the night before. I'm sorry.
3: He's pregnant. If you're pregnant. <gasps> oh, congratulations. Congratulations.
5: Let us know if it's a boy or, S- or a girl. Civil Amber Patrol, Chris. No, there, you know, there's other reasons, too, why you could be feeling a little, you could be starting right. to become under right. the weather just a little bit, um, but not quite feeling the full effects of being sick and, and have some of these um, issues occur. Also, I was wondering, you know, you said it was during steep turns, but you were on a flight review. If it was something that your flight instructor was demonstrating as opposed to you actually at the controls of the aircraft or if they had demonstrated something just before you had. Um, that's another reason why people sometimes become airsick because they're not the ones manipulating the controls and just get a little bit of that conflicting visual and proprioceptive information.
3: Good point. Mm-hmm. Proprioceptive?
5: Proprioception. Proprioception. Knowing where your body is in. Oh.
3: Okay, Space. I just, that sounded really fancy.
5: What allows yeah. you to take your finger and you know, touch your nose without really having to, if you can close your eyes and do that.
6: Could be a bad hangover or a bad oyster.
5: Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of illnesses that might lend themselves to that. But if you weren't feeling sick after all of this happened, um, I think the inner ear explanation is probably the most likely.
3: Playing a doctor on podcasts, I agree. <laughs> Did you also stay at a Holiday and Express (laughs) last night?
5: Excellent. (laughs) Uh, If anyone else has any other logical explanations,
3: that sounds reasonable to me. Mm
11: -hmm.
3: Okay. Moving on. Item seven. Uh, Hello, guys. My name is Emilio, a 200 hour private pilot from the bottom part of South America, a country that Dr. Steph has been to recently and Miami Rick used to operate from.
5: Man, that was a year ago for me. I guess it was kind of recently. Chile. It's Mm -hmm.
3: all, yeah, it's all relative, right? Mm
5: -hmm.
6: Is it Chile in Chile?
3: Some places. Uh, In the southern part, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And in the mountains, right? In the mountains, yeah. I love the podcast. I've been a listener for a couple of years and it's great. All of the material you prepare is incredibly interesting and you keep my motivation on to fulfill my dream of becoming a commercial pilot in the near future. A year ago, I conducted a pretty nice and long bicycle tour in Japan and Scotland and listening to your podcast on those long days riding my bicycle was a very nice way to let the time pass by. I ended he my rode j- his
5: bike from Japan to Scotland. Oh, That's wait. A- Japan and Scotland.
3: Okay. <laughs> that would be know. a it's long a ride. Bike. A pedalo. Be very uh, wet.
5: We might we might have just enough hours to fill a bike trek from Japan to Scotland <laughs> maybe. APG. Maybe uh, if
7: do- if I, I do not know you a smart Jeff uh, uh,
3: Steph And had blonde hair, it would have made a really bad joke there. (laughs) So did you see the guy uh, that uh, on a paddleboard went from the West Coast of the U.S. to Hawaii? On a paddleboard.
5: I've taken my paddleboard out like a mile, (laughs) and that's really hard work. And I live on a lake where there's not a lot of, you know, waves or...
3: Or sharks.
5: Sharks or, yeah.
3: Wow. Unbelievable.
5: Better yeah. in better shape than
3: I am. Anyway, anywho, uh, that can't be. Um, let's see. I ended my journey on the Shetland Island, a very remote part of the United Kingdom that is home to an RAF base, Saxafrid. yes. That's right. Okay. That I'm sure holds at least some plain tales material. In the 70s, there was an American pilot that was literally abducted by aliens. It's true. Well, see- that's <laughs> a <bit weird> about- <laughs> You know, it's for some reason, Nick them. is not getting cutting but, uh, through. You're getting cut out by everybody. I don't know why that is. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. I say there's being a bit rude about the Scottish people. Uh, they're not aliens at <laughs> all. <until>
6: they're entire-
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of rude now that now that you pointed yeah. out.
6: Yeah. Well, but, and,
3: this, and he points out that it's porn that
7: Captain would, Nick would love. Well, that,
3: that's great, and it involves some P- F4 Phantom porn that Captain Nick it, would love. Never mind. I'd love the show, and I'm. A shame that I haven't listened to all the episodes. Yeah, we're ashamed of you as well. But I'm on it. I'm definitely part of the APG Syndrome population. Oh, oh boy. Sorry, Emilio. Mm. Love the show. Look forward to many more. Best regards. And I look forward to meet you all in the future. And again, that's Emilio Ferreri. How'd I do? Cool. Frere? Frere? Frere. I
6: don't know, but I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an odd thing to have a bicycling tour amongst the islands of the Hebrides because like you can't cycle between the islands and they're all pretty small. Hmm. So there's not a lot of cycling to be done on the islands, but there you go. Each to his own. Saxo is is uh, on uh, quite a remote, uh, the Northern uh, corner of a remote Island uh, way North of uh, the mainland of Scotland. And it consists of about three big golf balls, you know, you know, the kind of thing, big white golf balls that house, The uh, radar, the big radar heads uh, that uh, used to keep an eye on the northern approaches to the United Kingdom. And uh, there was a small RAF contingent there who used to uh, look after the place and man the uh, fighter controller rooms and maintain the radar heads, etc. And every time we were out that way, which uh, sometimes on a QRA mission, we would often go and give them a little fly past. Uh, fraught with danger sometimes because there are an awful lot of very big s- uh, seabirds f- flying around so if you tried to buzz the base which was on some high ground right on the edge of a, a craggy field um, you know you used to come rattling down the field and then pull up and go over the base inverted which was always good laugh um, you know you had to be sort of keeping your fingers crossed that you wouldn't collect a bird or two and wreck the airplane um, but uh, yeah I never actually got up there to um see it in person but I flew over it many a time I Very think
7: good. on something you said Nick uh the golf ball radar isn't that Doppler radar for no, weather
6: golf balls just a nickname for the white uh, weather uh, domes they put over the radar heads to protect them in the bad weather gotcha uh, we used to nickname them golf balls they do like big giant golf balls yeah that's what they they kind of look like um and uh uh, as a regard to uh, American pilots literally being abducted up by aliens now, if being an American pilot, they'd have just been smoking a bit of dope. Don't worry.
7: <laughs> uh,
3: nothing to see here. Move
7: on. Yeah, move move along. Speaking of moving on. Yeah. i get a, a to run. Okay. I've got a previous uh, engagement at seven o'clock, and I still have to go pick up my prescriptions from my oral surgery from earlier, so I'm going to run. Right?
3: Hope you feel okay. Right.
7: And yeah, thank so you. Glad you to next see you time. again. Great to see you guys. Bye. And Jeff, just let me know if you need me to forward you the audio. We'll do. All right. Bye, guys. All Great right, see cool. you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Alrighty.
3: righty. Um, item eight. This is some audio feedback. Let's have a listen.
1: Hello, airline pilot guys. I've been a listener now for a few years, enjoying the podcast, and really appreciate the joy and laughter that it brings to me each week. Like many listeners, I carry around my phone and would rather listen to the podcasts that you bring to us than most of the music I hear on the radio or other podcasts. I have but one wish that I hope you'll grant me. Long ago, there was a great pilot, writer, and philosopher by the name of Antoine saint Expery who I admire greatly. I think I have read most of his books, and I must admit that Captain Nick and Captain Exbury share much in common. Not only have they been, both of them been, military pilots, but they have braved the unknown through flight, not just all over the world, but in the conflict that life brings to us each day. I noticed the greatest difference between the two is that Exbury didn't add much humor to his scribbling whereas Captain Nick seems to take great delight, whenever possible, to find humor in the human experience. The old pilot's plane tale reminds me of the writings of Captain St. Exbury. Through writing about his flying experiences 90 years ago, Exbury was able to touch on the beauty of flight and the fragility of the human experience, and the suffering that might go with both. To give accolades to Captain Nick by comparing him to Antoine St. Expery is my way of giving him the highest honor I can give to a great soul. So it is with some trepidation that I request that Captain Nick might include an old pilot's plain tale about the life of Captain Antoine Exbury and some of his exploits. Notably, this is a hard assignment because there were so many exploits that he wrote about, and it would be hard to choose from all of them. Again, I have not listened to all the podcast episodes, so Captain Nick might have already written a tale about Captain Exbury. I might have missed it, so there's always hope that that hasn't happened yet. Cheers to all of you. Carter Boswell, retired airline pilot and father of an ACME first officer.
3: That is awesome. (laughs) I love the very last part there. (laughs) Retired airline pilot. Yeah, that's all. um, Hopefully I'll get a chance to Fly with your son sometime, maybe. Um, don't know what what he's on, what equipment he's on. Um, so, Nick, uh, do you? Uh, well, you have not done a plain tale about um, X. Uh, what's the uh, Saint Antoine Saint Exbury?
6: No. And sadly, uh, my education was lacking because I had not heard of him. So thanks very much indeed for the pointer. In fact, I've got to start a new plain tale pretty soon because I'll need one ready for the next show. And uh, I'm uh, probably going to take a quick look and see if there's a uh, a suitable uh, story, uh, a suitable bio I can do there. I do note, uh, and I'm I'm very uh, grateful for your kind comments. Uh, I'm uh, very reluctant to, to allow you to put me in the same uh, category as this gentleman, um, since uh, you know he was a, a pretty famous and uh, <laughs> you know brilliant bloke, um, poetry as well as books, etc., and a very brave chap who fought uh, in um, in the wars. Uh, he was uh, awarded the Chevalier de la Legion d'honneur. Uh, which is a very high award, um, and the Croix de Gras, and uh, the Croix de Gras avec Palm. So, and he also uh, was famous enough to appear on a 50-franc banknote, uh, I noticed in France. So that's the sort of thing that happens to well-known and well-recognized famous people, and I'm not going to get there. But I would be delighted to take a look at this and uh, Consider it a tent plain tale. Thanks very much.
3: After listening to this, I, I had heard of this gentleman, his name, uh, but I'd never read any of his works. And I, um, on the, my Kindle, I downloaded or uh, bought a, a Kindle version of uh, one of his works called Wind, Sand, and Stars. And I started reading it, and it is fascinating. It is just uh, it is a, a, a wonderful writer.
5: And Josine pointed out that he wrote The Little Prince, and that's a fairly… Famous and well-read piece of literature as well.
6: Okay. What was The Little Prince about? A Little, a little
3: Prince. prince. <laughs> yeah. this, this big. Sorry, just trying to live up to my... <laughs> it was, how big was this prince? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, bigger than a bread box, but smaller than a washing machine or something. I don't know. <laughs> 20 um, questions. <laughs> all right. And finally, we're going to end the show with this one. Um, let's see. Chuck writes in, Hey, thought of you guys when I saw this. All the I'm best. a little concerned that he thought of us yeah. when he saw this. <laughs> he, he says a passenger on an airplane saw something that made him stop and say, Hey, H A Y. Okay, wait. <laughs> nay, he didn't. Okay. Yeah, nay, nay, nay. nay.
8: Uh, <laughs> so nay.
3: this is uh, from foxnews.com. Uh, On an American Airlines flight from Chicago to Omaha, traveler Evan Nowak captured footage of a miniature horse near the front of the plane. According to American Airlines website, trained miniature horses are permitted on flights as a service animal. Evan Nowak uh, said he noticed an unusual traveler while flying.
5: (sighs) There's a lot of redundancy here. Um, He skipped down to says, fortunately, the miniature horse had been given an aisle
3: seat. Yeah. Keep going, Steph. You're doing as better it was than I am.
5: likely too big for a middle seat and wouldn't be able to appreciate the views from the window seat anyway. I have a point there. Obviously amused, Nowak posted the footage with the caption, at this time, we would like to begin boarding with any active duty military families traveling with children under the age of three and horses. Uh, in mid-August, the U.S. Department of Transportation announced that miniature horses still were allowed to fly as service animals in all cabins of commercial planes. Uh, in a statement aiming to define the guidelines regarding protections for emotional support and psychiatric service cats, dogs, and the tiny equines. Uh, the announcement did not bind airlines to fly all service miniature horses by law, but did allude to penalties if carriers violated the new rule. Uh, the Department of Transportation has not, had not previously banned the miniature horses. According to the American Miniature Horse Association, The animals often stand between two and three feet tall and weigh between 150 and 250 pounds with an average lifespan of at least 30 years.
3: Ah, the AMHA.
5: The AMHA, yes.
3: American Miniature Horse Association. I'm a member.
6: I've actually had a little conversation on Twitter with someone who has a miniature horse as an assistance animal um, who helps detect the onset of a condition that uh, she has. And I was asking her how you restrain it during a flight, because if you've got, if you're allowed up to 250 pounds, if you've got a 250 pound horse standing uh, by the seats, how do you stop it from flying in the air if you hit a bit of bad turbulence? Or uh, better still, um, what? How, how do you evacuate an aircraft with a miniature horse on board if, if it you know, if it goes out into the aisle, it could stop and refuse to move. Or and how do you get it down a slide, all that kind of stuff. So I've got a lot of questions about the carriage of these uh, larger
3: uh, animals. Well, I think the American Miniature Horse Association lobby is a very powerful lobby, apparently.
6: Is it as powerful as the gun lobby? Because I
3: reckon... <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah I that's to talk just, about They, the politics they try, to, to, the they try to like, stay under the radar. Uh, I'll note on the video, by the way, uh, there was no way for this horse to be in a middle seat because it was a CRJ like 700,
5: 900. So there is no middle there seat? There is
3: no middle seat. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't even a mainline, it was a, a regional carrier. Yeah. Um,
5: and I think this article is conflating a little bit between emotional support and actual registered service animals. Yeah. And I think. The they are talking specifically of using these horses as in their role as service animals, not emotional support.
3: Exactly. Now, I did uh, in the video. I think it was wearing one of those harnesses, but it was probably something they bought on eBay. Um, But it looked like it was an official service animal, but I don't know.
6: Well, where do you secure the? What do you secure the harness to? (sighs) Don't know. And if you're a passenger who gets a two hundred and fifty pound. Horse land on you because it's just bounced off the ceiling.
3: Uh, Who do you sue? I don't know.
5: The
6: horse.
3: Yeah,
5: (laughs) clearly, Clearly.
3: that's it. Uh, You know, the uh, in in the one of the articles I read, it said that um, because they were at the uh, between the the bulkhead, even though there was no bulkhead uh, between first class seating and um, economy, there um, so there's just a curtain there, and so the horse is like basically leaning up against the last row of first class and they said it, and she felt bad because the uh, horse kept bumping this guy's seat but he seemed to be okay with it <laughs> went okay this is not mm. i don't know something yeah, wrong with there's this.
5: certainly issues but yeah,
6: yeah. i mean uh, how you know the average domestic flight how long a couple of hours uh, probably average hour and a half hour for a half domestic flight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering what essential services that the animal has to provide in that short period that couldn't be provided either before or after or by the cabin crew. Nick, quit being so skeptical.
5: Or that oh. the animal has to go with them to their destination to provide those yeah, essential I mean, services.
6: I'm in the hold, uh, safely secured in an appropriate container, which is uh, bolted to the floor. And that's very safe. I don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. That's all. I'm, I'm not saying don't do it or do do it. I'm just saying there are a few safety questions that I might have answered.
5: I mean, do they have seeing-eye horses, like seeing-eye dogs?
6: Well, they might have, but...
10: <laughs> a horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Mr. Go right to the source. Wow, and
5: I know all those words. lyrics.
3: Did did he the you know. that oh, yeah. Endorse, he's on yeah. yeah. Mr. Ray, Ray was Ray a talking Ray. horse? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, this one was, well, yes. Mr. Ed was, was a talking
6: horse. Yes. <laughs> okay, so did he get uh, miniature talking horses? Mm.
5: Now, that is a good it question. It sounds like a sequel. Or a, a spinoff to Mr. Red.
3: Oh, boy. Well, I'm so glad. We'll
5: see you next week for annals of the American Miniature Horse Association podcast. We'll continue
6: the conversation. It's a can of worms, and I want to bring my can of worms on as an emotional yeah, support. No, oh.
3: Emotional support can of worms. Oh. No. Okay. Don't,
5: don't open your can of worms. floor.
3: <laughs> Unless they're, unless they smell good. Uh, but most can of worms don't. Trust me. Well, you haven't smelled my thing. worms. I- <laughs> mm, don't want to. Okay. With that, folks. Yeah. We, uh, we got to shut this thing down before it just gets completely out of control. <laughs> and uh, man, it was a lot of fun again. Uh, thanks everyone for uh, downloading, listening to the show, especially our live uh, audience and uh, those folks. In our chat room. Thank you very much for attending another uh, weekly episode. And uh, if you are new to the Airline Pilot Guy show and you want to learn more, we have a place for you to go. It's called the airlinepilotguy.com website. Where, oh, by the way, I should mention somebody asked about mugs last show. And all you do, by the way, I didn't even know this, but we have coffee mugs on Redbubble. Uh, that have the Acme logo on it, probably the older one, but, uh, we can go in there and maybe fix it up and, you know, spiff it up a little bit. But anyway, uh, they're there. Uh, just go to the website and it says APG store and then scroll down and click on the red bubble banner and you'll be taken to the red bubble airline pilot guy store and you can order your coffee mug, travel mug, all kinds of stuff there. Right. Apparently. Yeah. Did you do that? Or who did that? Yeah, I think I I, okay. I, I, just, <laughs> I just clicked on a few things that I thought people might one day yeah, want. I love it. Well, thank you very much. So um, just wanted to point that out. So we have merchandise. We have APG Live. We have Plaintails um, standalone site. Uh, by the way, that can also be a standalone uh, feed for you to get on your um, podcast client device or app. And all kinds of other stuff there. So I'm, I'm getting all tongue-tied here, so maybe I should just hand it off to Dr. Steph, and she can tell you about how you can follow us on social media.
5: The social medias. Head over to Twitter.com and use the handle at APG Crew. You can find all of us there. You can find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of the page. Uh, come hang out and interact with us in 280 characters or less. You can also head to facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy, all kinds of community action going, interaction going on there, action, interaction, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, information about um, things happening in the world of airlines, aviation, our podcast, meetups, and much, much more. So hope to see you there.
3: Absolutely. And we're also on, uh, hang on, let me see if, let me see if Hillel is here. Hillel! Hello. Come on, start, you're on, man.
11: I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain.
3: Okay, don't worry. APG listeners,
11: please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
3: Thanks, Hillel, for doing that for us, managing that Slack group. And uh, thanks uh, to our producer, Liz, uh, for all the hard work that she does to make it look like we know what we're talking about. And uh, until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. You're muted. I didn't want to say goodbye anyway. Okay.
6: <laughs> Too <laughs> Bye, my <sad. bye-bye. laughs>
7: Till I started APG I opened doors
4: for little old ladies I helped them to their seats
6: Airline pilot guy i fly a a
8: dog Airline pilot guy
4: He can't
8: land in heavy fall
7: I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane
4: I can land it just fine
6: Airline party guy I'm a flyer Airline party guy